0: Hello? Do you wanna die tonight, Cece? Eat shit and live, Bill. Yeah, Bill, like a little wet Come on, Bill. I said,
1: don't disturb you, I'm cleaning my room! Hi! You're not this man. I
0: think. They're coming to get you, Barbara.
2: Hey, everyone! Welcome to the Vintage Horror Podcast, where we review all horror, not just the vintage kind. I'm your host, Rob, and with me tonight I have Kyle. Hey, what's up, Mark? What's up? And joining us this evening as a guest is our friend Chris.
0: Going on, Rob. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, dude,
2: don't thank me. I'm not the boss around here. I'm just the temp.
0: <laughs> go ahead. I... It's an honor, guys. Really appreciate it.
2: Today we're going to be reviewing from 1954 Godzilla or Gojira, depending uh on which title you want to go with. Uh, it was directed by Ishiro Honda, uh, written by Takeo Morita and Ishiro Honda. And it was released on November 3rd,
1: 1954. That's my birthday. Is it really? No.
2: Definitely not. Uh, I had a bit of a difficult time getting exact budget figures down. But what I kind of came up with is the budget was around uh, 64 million yen, which came in at about 900,000 US dollars at that time. It had a marketing budget of about 37 million yen. Around six hundred thousand dollars, and it had a total box office return in Japan during its initial release of one hundred and fifty-two million yen, about two point two million U.S. dollars. Uh, seems kind of low, right?
3: I, I don't know. Uh, the numbers I
2: got were totally
3: different. I got like a I said, Y
1: sign and equal sign. Is that what the yen is? is that's that what... the yen. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that um,
3: that <laughs> what numbers did you find? I found a budget of $175,000 and it grossed $562,000 in its initial run. I don't know, but that was just off IMDb. Um, I don't know where
2: you saw it. Did you look on um, Wikipedia? I went through a couple. I went through um, Wikizilla and I went through Toho Kingdom, which Toho Kingdom tends to be pretty good with kaiju films. Uh, Chris, I don't know how reliable you would say Toho Kingdom is with some of their info.
0: They're pretty good. I haven't spent too much time seeing how they edit everything or kind of what their audit process is to verify information. But I'd assume it's pretty accurate. Um, Japanese Wikipedia would probably have the correct answer as well.
2: Yeah. So what we what I what I can say is that generally in Japan, this this, this was a success. And for a number of reasons, that's a a really honestly, that's a really huge deal. Um, and we'll go more into why its success was such a huge deal. So. Before we get into any more details on the movie, I think that we need to go to the tried and true cracking a cold one with the boys. And as I'm hosting tonight, who am I going to go to first, except none other than Mark. So, Mark, what you been up to, buddy?
1: Um, You know, we last recorded, I think, three weeks ago. So um, since then, I started my back tattoo. Um, it was all right. Sat there for like four hours. My guy, Kyle. You know, he was there, but wasn't there, but he was there.
3: I, I did hold his hand the whole time. Yeah, so. he held my
1: hand the whole time. So I did that. That was sick. Um, what else happened? We did Monster Mania last week. It was all right. So Ralph Macchio's and um, Jamie Kennedy, who shot. Yeah, I didn't really see anyone else, though. It's kind of busy for a Friday, so we just didn't really do too much. Um. Anything our, else? I do? Our our guy Gary Busey was there. Gary Busey, you know, he's oh, in the no. news lately for bad things. At that convention. At that convention that night, we were there touching girls in public.
2: Yep. Correction: uh Gary Busey was there doing that, not you. Right. Well, I mean, we might have been too. But <laughs> okay, I didn't get we, caught. We need a legal disclaimer. I need. Yeah. To, we need
3: to
1: contact our lawyer. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, did that. Um, also last night, Kyle and I got matching tattoos of um from Hellfire Club from Stranger Things. The Little devil thing head.
3: Yep. I guess. The like demon thing. Uh, um, I think it's the devil. The devil. Is it maybe?
1: Uh, got to see my younger sister when we went to Monster Mania. That was cool. sit in line at crumble for two hours.
3: Yeah, we did stand in line for crumble. Are you serious? For two, two hours. hours. Yeah. Oh two hours. my god. It was worth
1: it though. Because they we had the pregnant
3: like, cookie. Probably could have just drove home and went to the one
2: here. Yeah, yeah. by the time you got home, went yeah. to Ocean.
1: Yep. But I'm sure the one by me was uh pretty good too. Um other than that, didn't really do too much. I uh, was on call at work, so I just sat around, ordered a cowboys jersey that came in. So football season's about to start. So I got my CD Lamb jersey ready to go. So um, Kyle, what's up with you? Well, it's
3: been a Other while. Than you eight. know, yeah, you know, we it's been about a month, well almost a month, since we like yeah. last recorded. Um, so I've done a lot actually. Uh, I apparently saw nope. I totally <laughs> forgot until Mark reminded me. I saw nope, uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. I'm gonna I don't want to give too much away, but I think it's definitely his um best movie out of this three so far better than us i dude, I, I you know i don't like us us, <laughs> us is not um no it's not good but um it's better than get out i think it's probably his best movie so far i'm just gonna try to run through this stuff because i don't want to drag on too long about everything i've done in a month but i went um our guy andrew got married so i went to his bachelor oh, I forgot party about that yeah i yeah. went to his bachelor party andrew one week, yeah, congratulations, whatever. Fuck him. Um,
1: <laughs> I went to his bachelor
3: party, uh, because I was one of the groomsmen, so we did that. We were in Pennsylvania, we went shooting, you know, did some American, shit, uh, shot some big guns, a grenade launcher, no big deal, don't want to brag about oh, it, it, but sure I shot a grenade do. launcher. So, uh, and then we went to his wedding the week after. Me, Mark, Sam was there. Um, Andrew got married, you know, it was nice. Uh, I was trying to throw him in a pool, but then they told us we couldn't throw him in a pool, so we threw him in the ocean, uh, just as good, I guess. Um, I tried I in the last episode I said I would watch the new Resident Evil series and I would have it done by the time we recorded this and I hate to say it but that series sucked and I gave up after 15 minutes in the second episode I said this is fucking dog shit and I don't recommend it to anybody fuck that show Um, it's not good. Um, I'm getting into recording, record or I mean, not recording, buying records, I guess. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm recording them too. No, I'm uh, <laughs> buying records. I have the record player, uh, it's sitting for me at the store. I have to go pick it up, and I already bought some records. How uh, much is the
1: record player? Uh,
3: well, it's supposed to be a hundred dollars, okay. but and the speakers are supposed to be a hundred, but I can just is say that
1: normal price for them
3: for what, yeah, that's what you'd get in the stores, but I'm I know not, nothing
1: about record players, Those I'm not annoying.
3: paying. Any of that, you I'm have to employ like, I'm discount. Yeah, well, it's something like that. It's called the Jiu Jitsu discount, it's called the Kissy Kissy um, discount. <laughs> but he's uh, holding on to sour for me, too. That's at the shop that he posted it like on uh, the Instagram and fearless. So I told him to hold those for me. Um, and I already bought like other Taylor Swift ones, but I'm also getting in, I guess, into liquid death. I've just been drinking that like nonstop lately. So shout out to liquid death. You should sponsor us. You know, they probably won't. Um, and that's pretty much it.
2: Sick. Um, so. I'm actually going to move it to Chris, but since Chris, this is your first time on the podcast, um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe give us a, a little bit of background about, you know, what type of horror movies you like, you know, what's your favorite movie? How about and- we start with, who the hell are you, man? Yeah. Yeah. How did you yeah. wind up here? How, how did you, you get here? Yeah. Social, social security number.
0: I don't know. I just kind of walked in. The door was open, guys, and I just kind of <laughs> sat down and, you know, the, ca- the camera turned on. So <laughs> It's incredible. Um, yeah, it's funny how it works, but interestingly enough, I actually met Rob at college. I remember how we met Rob is I sat next to you. It was a Brazilian history class that was a kiss and I had Steve Irwin as my, uh, computer background and Rob sat next to me goes, Oh, that guy was cool as fuck. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And then we had a mutual friend who wanted to watch the first Godzilla movie. And by chance he just texted me and said, Hey, my other friend, Rob wants to come. Do you care? And I was like, Oh yeah, whatever. It's college. And then I remember like, we opened the door and Rob was in there and me and him pointed at each other like the Spider-Man meme. Like, oh my God, <laughs> you were from the <laughs> class. And then we just killed and I like Godzilla. I like Japanese history, I like world history, Gundam and Rob likes all the same things. So it was a match made in heaven
2: yeah we actually started dating right
0: there and then oh okay
1: <laughs> have you always been into godzilla like your whole life since the ch- childhood or is that something like pretty really much remember? i
0: remember i actually don't remember my first godzilla movie but i remember i was maybe three or four probably when i discovered godzilla and that was just it i've just been addicted ever since and like rob will tell you i'm into godzilla on another level like not just the movies i'll watch the cartoons i'll play the video games i'll buy the comic books i'm literally that meme like consume next product for godzilla Dude, so. that
3: cartoon from the
2: 70s is pretty good though what about the game hey, bro i've got that show yeah. so
0: it never goes wrong and the 90s cartoon was really good too so well,
2: well that's why when we when i said oh, yeah, we're gonna do godzilla i said don't worry i know a guy i got us covered i know the guy <laughs> cool
0: cool yes i have all the fun trivia for you guys have you so ever been to japan to, trust me have, have i you're... ever been to japan no i wish i would oh, okay so maybe someday uh my only problem is i hate the cold so everywhere i go i'm like it has to be at least 80 degrees or warmer respect so. hey, cold <laughs> cold <laughs> to find that spot in japan but i think i could brave it for tokyo yeah
2: for sure i mean i heard hiroshima at one point was above 80 <laughs> something like that for a little bit
0: <laughs> is it still is or no <laughs> Are they
1: good now? Can they live there?
2: Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I don't, sure yes. I don't know. I
1: don't know. Like,
2: yeah, yeah,
3: yeah,
1: yeah. America yeah. ruined their life.
2: It, w- it was the single greatest decontamination decam- de- effort prior oh, to so Chernobyl. So it's not like
1: the same thing as like um, in Russia where that Chernobyl. Thing. Chernobyl. No, that came was for like 20,000 Twenty twenty thousand yeah. years. That was like a ground yeah. zero meltdown.
3: So oh, that, it, that was that different. was a
2: nuclear material going into groundwater. <laughs> like, uh, uh, so yeah, I shouldn't drink the water. You know, continental extinction.
1: So, Chris, are you into any other horror stuff or just is Godzilla your your thing?
0: Godzilla is my main thing. But when it comes to horror, I mean, I like my only criteria for movies and stuff. I'm like, just make it good. I'll watch Mm -hmm. anything. But I'm a big uh, creature feature guy. Like if it's a horror movie about like a serial killer or demons or whatever, I'm kind of like, ah, whatever. I'm
3: like that. I can happy. tell you've been friends with Rob for a little
0: bit. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> yeah, vampire, werewolf, okay. black any creature. I'm like throw it in, I'll lap it up. I okay. loved the sci-fi channel originals for a while. Those were good. Okay. Um, yeah, somewhere yeah. around Sharknado 4, they might have lost <laughs> yeah, it a little Yeah, Sharknado bit. 4 I tapped out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know mean, if I started so you the first one. Sharknado 3.
2: So, or Sharktopus versus like I don't know, crocodile pterosaur. I don't know. There's That's, something probably, there. a <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably a movie. Yeah, it's probably. Probably a movie um yeah, okay chris, chris so uh let's see how let's let, let's kind of put you on the board here think about slasher movies so i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you a couple slasher movies and you tell me which one's the best all right so, so our franchises so here are the franchises scream halloween friday the 13th nightmare on elm street what is the pick one that is the best and one that you would be okay if it never got made oh that's tough Putting you on the spot I know. And you better watch with these two. Are you gentlemen. talking about the whole franchise? or just like Yeah, I think part? the whole franchise. Yeah, I left Hellraiser out of it because as far as I'm concerned, that the, that everybody on this podcast just doesn't care if that disappeared.
3: <laughs> Didn't even know it was a movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Scream, Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. One One is crowned the greatest and one disappears forever.
0: I'd say I think Friday the 13th is probably the greatest just because pound for pound it's sequels are more entertaining than most of Halloween's. And if I had to pick one to get rid of hot take, but I'd actually probably pick nightmare on Elm street, just because some of those sequels are so awful. Like, i and bars and high for slash removers when you look at mm. stuff like jason x and halloween five dude, but, jason
1: yeah. x is good dude halloween five is good <laughs> <laughs> like what
3: i'm saying a ride or insane.
1: die for halloween five it, i
3: like your i like your reasoning like friday the 13th the uh, i don't want to go too deep into this but like the series is definitely more fun like you can mm-hmm. rewatch any of those sequels and have fun whereas like nightmare mm-hmm. elm street some of them i cannot stand
0: exactly you just like, like i always like the, the one where jason was fighting that psychic chick i thought that was a good movie you know Road that's seven, fun yeah, that's, that's entertaining that weird. that's the worst um the worst. <laughs> the, more he's the worm at least is so bad it's good yeah, so, no, um. i
1: hate that one just the ending drives the movie's good until the end that's uh, not
3: the worst one though jason goes to hell is so we could just, just no they stop. got
1: the guy remember
2: keith <laughs> I, david no
1: no i thought the one guy <laughs> was played by the other guys. It was not good time for me. I tested Kyle kind of something that was probably good. <laughs>
2: oh, I don't remember. But all right, <laughs> I'll let you know later. Oh man. All right, uh, well, no. I think uh, I think you officially passed the test, Chris, yeah. and you've you've been you're a man of culture, and you've been welcomed.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. And if you had to ask me best slasher movie, I'd probably. Well, say I was going to cool. ask what your favorite
1: horror movie was, but I like other than out of the Godzilla realm, I don't,
0: I don't even really count the Godzilla as horror. Okay. Time. I mean, only maybe the first one we're going to talk about is arguably horror. The yeah. rest are very much kind of in line with a lot of sci-fi movies. Okay. Um, but probably favorite horror movie in general, probably either. <sighs> That's hard. Either the original Wolfman, I love how that one, I love how that's filmed, or Island of Lost Souls. That one's a really wild movie. I've
1: never even heard of Island of Lost Souls. Island of Lost
0: Souls, it's from the pre-code era, so it's like early 30s Hollywood, and it's basically the island of Dr. Moreau. It's like their interpretation of it. Oh, okay. It's actually super interesting because H.G. Wells, if I remember the author of the book right, actually saw the movie which oh, was wow. yeah and he wrote a whole long letter about how awful it was and they missed the entire point. <laughs> well, <they> usually, <laughs> right. i feel
1: like i've read something uh, island of lost souls that. is so,
0: fantastic that's a movie i it's still scary to this day it's so disturbing
1: yeah i remember I, reading something about hg wells where he wrote a, a something about something that he made yeah so that's probably what it was
0: mm-hmm. yeah guess. but island of lost souls man that's my favorite or the original Wolfman. So that's
2: cool awesome um so i guess that means i have to give you my boring life story now yeah uh so i was born in 19 no uh well, your
1: birthday's coming up soon
2: yeah uh my birthday's on monday yeah
0: yeah so I'm and scared. a wedding coming up too
2: i know it's that's uh less than two months away now so it's very very close i'm very excited i know all you guys are going to be there um maybe now your birthday so. party or your wedding? i didn't rsvp my wedding. yet so <laughs> oh you're having a birthday party i didn't know like yeah, that come- Kyle's, Kyle's got me at a uh, at gunpoint here.
0: He's like, Don't say right the here. word
2: best man and I'll RSVP.
1: I had right here. I, I, already, I, I already did it. I did. You I know, I mine.
0: Too, I, Rob. My girlfriend last night was like, Did you get RSVP for Rob and Susan's wedding? I was like, Not yet. And she's like, Oh, well, I just did, so you should probably. And I'm like, Well, you're <laughs> what, you Dude, sent them Separate like, invites. <laughs>
2: Wait,
1: why'd you send them separate invites, man?
2: I sent did I send everybody married? I think so. I think I put heads of household. And I think I put Chris's heads of household, so he could have RSVP'd them both. Wow. You're just wasting paper, dude. You just want to ruin this earth. Did I send two invites to you guys, or did I send one invite to you?
0: Let me look at the fridge. It looks like we got one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: okay. Um All right.
0: You're saving Mother Earth. Sorry. Yeah, so
2: my birthday's coming up. I'm getting old. It is what it is. Uh, basically, I've been trying to catch up on a couple things. You know, streaming wise, I just watched the Sandman. I'm almost all the way through it. Uh, you, obviously, like, you know, I, I've seen a lot of the criticism around it. And I'm not going to spoil anything because I know, Mark, you haven't got a chance to watch it. No. Uh, a lot, of, There's a lot of talk around certain casting choices. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, it's it still has the heart and soul of what Neil Gaiman wrote. And it feels very much his work. And I think that there are some real standout episodes of that show that are really incredible. And resonated with me a lot, and I think the lead actor, who is portraying Morpheus, the Sandman, is is
0: really killing it.
2: I don't know, Chris, if you saw Sandman
0: at all. Um, I've only seen the bad reviews, and I heard the Cat episode. Really, I've only seen good um, reviews. That's that's just what I've seen. I'm kind of I'm like disconnected from a lot of new stuff Mm -hmm. just to give myself the mental break. So I'm kinda (laughs) out of it. Makes sense. So we overconsume.
2: Uh, and then there is a lot of stuff flooding to market right now. Uh, I just watched. I got to watch the next episode of She Hulk, trying to trying to keep up with that. Is Tatiana that even
1: Good or anyone know if it's?
2: I had fun with it, but I heard it was good, but I don't. I, honestly, I think it's it feels like the She Hulk of the comics. Very like Tatiana Maslany's doing a really really good job, but she if you've ever seen Orphan Black, she was really good in Orphan Black. No, so I like her as an actress. Uh, so I think She Hulk's good so far. It's funny but it's not like it's funny, but it's not like Thor funny. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like leaning on the ham and cheese a little bit too much there mm-hmm. uh, or screaming goats, whatever, <laughs> whatever gives Kyle a migraine. Um, <laughs> Spoiler for everyone, man, dude, I'll tell you this right now. When I was watching the movie with Kyle, he laughed for the first like two or three times. And then every time that thing, certain thing happened in the theaters, I would look over and like, you could tell the pain on his face. (laughs) Yeah. Cause (laughs) I saw like literally the ruining the movie
3: because like, it doesn't have any rewatchability because of that. Uh, And personally for me,
2: um, I've, I have the brain of a four-year-old. So I was just giggling (laughs) the whole time. I was like, this is funny. This is, this was marketed to me. The biggest shows for me, obviously coming out right now is the, you know, uh, down the line is the very, 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 that I say very, I think I said very, very controversial uh, rings of power uh, as a, I'm a ride or die Tolkien person. I love Lord of the Rings and there's a lot going on right there. And finally, uh, just having released this past Sunday, Chris and I are big fans. We are back to Westeros, mm-hmm. uh, the House of the Dragon, the prequel series for Game of Thrones came out. It's amazing how one episode of a show could be better than an entire final season of a previous series, but whatever that's what um, i
1: heard that's what our, the guy mike that tattooed me in college said like the same thing he said it's amazing what happens
2: everybody said oh i don't know what's happening blah blah, blah. well guess what the writers who worked on that last on, on game of thrones did not come back for this series and it shows it mm-hmm. there the, you know liquidating that writing and directorial team to bring in a fresh team was the smartest decision they could have ever made um and then it came out in a recent leak that George R.R. R. Martin and several others were pushing for up to 10 seasons, 10 or 12 seasons. And HBO Max was in dis- – HBO, HBO at the time was actually in discussions to make the 10-season mark happen. And the writers were like, yeah, no, we don't want to do 10 seasons. We're ending in an eight.
0: How do you get that much clout as a writer with HBO where you can say, no, we're stopping now?
2: It's insane though how they nuked their own careers because they were writing that show and they got a contract to do Star Wars films and they were rushing to end. They were rushing to end Game of Thrones to go do their Star Wars film and they ended it so badly that they got fired from their Star Wars film. Like a
0: certain director would say, Rob, it's poetry.
2: Okay. George Lucas joke, Mark, just so you know. I don't know. I don't like Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, or Game of Thrones. Yeah, but I will say that this this, this episode of Game of Thrones, uh, House of the Dragon, was so promising to me. Uh, and I am really excited to to get back into that world and actually see it done with some quality. Uh, so that's about it for me. And I think it's about time that we move on to our first topic of discussion today. Normally, we do a ranking system or we'll rate you know, certain topics. But I figured for this one in particular, I wanted to change it up a little bit. So what we're going to go with today is our most memorable convention moments. Spoiler alert, I've only been to one big convention, so mine's pretty easy, as Kyle called me out on as soon as I (laughs) mentioned this. But you'll see I have some, there are some reasons why I picked it. And honestly, uh, it has a lot to do with our special guest this evening. So uh, I think I will kick it to Kyle first. So Kyle, what was your most memorable convention moment? Here's my problem.
3: I've been to many conventions and uh, to just say one moment is almost impossible because there's nothing that like happened that was super amazing where I'm like, fuck, this is like nothing will ever beat this. So I have a quick list. I'll run through them fast. I won't like, yeah, go ahead. I won't like, you know,
1: because chances are there.
3: (laughs) Number one, I think going to Texas with like Mark to meet like Nev Campbell at one of her first conventions, if not her first convention ever, like that was like, like, I, have, you know, he's been back to Texas Frightmare. I haven't, but like, we're going to go this year. That was like cool as fuck, you know, like, and to just experience that, like a convention outside of the ones that we just drive to. That was pretty cool. Um, Meeting Kate Beckinsale. Uh, that was awesome. She wrote that I'm the love of her life on my print. And uh, I also got to hug her. So I literally, I think we fell in love that day. Uh, that was pretty cool. Justin Long meeting him was cool as fuck because like, I wasn't going to get a photo op with him, but then talking to him, I was like, fuck, dude, I love you. I think. I was ready to kiss him right there. So, um, <laughs> I got a photo op with him just and I told him, I was like, I wasn't going to get a photo op with you, but like I think I have to now. And he was like, wow, thanks, man. I was like, wow, that okay. I think I love you even more now. Um, like meeting Sid Haig, um, obviously before he died, met him twice, but like when the first time I met him, I had him, I was like, can you like write like fuck you or something on my print? And he's like, he wrote fuck you, Kyle, you fucking asshole. And then the second time he wrote like, I'll fuck you up. So I was like, dude, I, I think I love this guy. Um, so meeting <laughs> Sid Haig, uh, Getting a photo up of Stan Lee at Comic Con, obviously, like that's something that like I'm, you know, really grateful that I did. I wish I didn't wear glasses in that photo, but I did. But hey, you know, it is what it is. Um uh Meeting Scout Taylor Compton at Rhode Island Comic Con <laughs> or, or, or Terracon in Rhode Island. The reason uh, for that is is because we got there super early, thinking her line's going to be super long. She like never did conventions. Holy shit, she was in Ho- Rob Zombie's Halloween, and we get there and there's literally nobody in her line. And we walk up and we're talking to her. And we're like, yeah, we got here early. We thought that your line would be like long and there's nobody here. She's like, yeah, me too. And we're just like, okay, this is awkward. <laughs> Gotta go. And we told her that Daniel Harris was pregnant and was about to give birth and she had no idea. And I think I'm the reason that they have a podcast together now.
1: That's possible. No? That's possible. I, it's possible because she's like, they didn't seem like I they didn't follow over, each other. They didn't follow each other on Instagram. And then all of a sudden they were friends again.
3: Yeah so i think that's really you
1: rekindled them
3: yeah and then of course like meeting megan golden at Rhode Island comic-con like that was really <laughs> cool because like did you get taco <laughs> bell with her yes and that's another thing like she's like one of our favorite cosplayers like she's straight edge and um she likes taco bell and we ate taco bell with her and like i don't know we met her twice now but like that was like cool like to meet her and eat taco bell with her she didn't have to do any of that but she did it and Is that's like my a top 40. That's it. That's all I got. So, Mark, let's hear yours since uh, apparently, yeah, apparently mine's too long. Let's hear <laughs> no, yours. No, I'm not I'm just kidding. to list. So, um,
1: yeah, so basically mine's gonna be like the same, like Kyle. Like when Rob texts us, I couldn't pinpoint one thing where it was like this is gonna stick with me for the rest of my life. Because, like, so even this past week, uh last week, we went to Monster Mania. Me and Kyle, I met Ralph Macho, and I told Kyle when we meet him. I was like, Yo, I'm gonna tell him I like Johnny better than fucking than fucking Daniel Russo. I'm like, because I love Cobra Kai. I love I love William Zapka. So I said, by the way, I just rewatched How I Met Your Mother. And guess what? The way Barney Simpson says, you're a bully, you're a fucking bully. And I like I like Johnny Lawrence better. And he's like, dude, I don't really care who you like better. Just watch our show September 9th, <laughs> the new season. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was so fucking funny that it did that. But I think, honestly, my number one moment would be, like Kyle said, going to Texas Frightmare, like getting away from New Jersey, New York Comic-Cons, and stuff like that and doing that and just experience that whole like different world like that that is like flying to a convention staying there for the weekend like meeting nev campbell for the first time like like i'll, I'll always remember that for the, the rest of my life because that like put me in like the whole like convention world of like always googling who's going where who's on the convention circuit, like who's doing what like how much this person costs how much that person costs um, and then even just this last year, when I flew to Texas to fight again, and I met the whole cast of scream and like one day notice, like th- that is going to like live on forever for me. Um, there's just so many things like, like I, I regret not getting a photo op with Kate Beckinsale regret, not getting a photo op with Justin long. Like the, that. Really, I was just literally thinking about that the other night, like of stuff I did like that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many like that. I, I can't even like, I'll be here forever like him, but I'm trying to think what else like that I forgot that it was like really sick. Um, you got Skeet to go to his first convention. Yeah, I got Skeet to go to his first convention, Skeet Ultridge from Scream. And I remember I brought it up to him a couple more times and he like always thanked me. Like it was like the wildest thing. Like he never heard of conventions before, which I don't, I find that hard to believe. Right. Well, back then they were still like not as big. So I feel like from when we went in 2015, that was to now. Is it's like totally different. Like yeah. it's ten times more. Like
2: people go. Yeah. Yeah. Horror cons in particular have just gotten so much bigger. It I think, all, all, conventions I think all conventions have. I think all honestly. Yeah. It used yeah. to be like Wizard Con. Uh, yeah. Comic Con. Like that under. was it.
1: Yeah. Wizard. Wizard World. It was.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They got bought out by uh, Fan Expo. Um. So I actually think I'll, I'm gonna go next because Chris, I know you have a special one, and I think it <laughs> yeah. ties right into today's. Uh, Mark, yeah. I'm not trying but, to step no, on No, no,
1: no. Just the last thing, like one of my uh, all-time favorite things too that we've ever done, um, we all went to New York Comic Con except Rob and Kyle and uh, Trav dressed like cosplay oh, basically. <laughs> and fucking Trav was literally painted blue, blue. for like, <laughs> Night 15 crawler. hours
3: <laughs> and he was just miserable and then it, he tried to wash it off in the bathroom when he got changed and it just wouldn't come off like uh, it, like it would came off but like not good and he no just was it was blue. all over
1: his ears like yeah. his neck like it was brutal yeah uh it, that was like a really good time like i to totally forgot
3: there. about that oh my yeah god. Wow. i just
1: always remember that you guys come in here at like 6 30 in the morning and yeah. he's already painted blue and i'm like oh my god
3: <laughs> yeah <that laughs> oh, miserable. Man.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so like I really would think my number one thing would be going to Texas with Kyle seven years ago and starting this whole journey of going to conventions like relatively a couple times, I don't know, a couple times a year. Yeah. At this point, I definitely I go to Morta Kyle because I like, yeah, like I'm going to Dragon Con next week. I forgot about that even in like what I'm doing. You say Drag Con or <laughs> I'll go to Drag Con. Oh, <laughs> they want me to, but I'm going to drag Dragon Con. So in Atlanta. But yeah, so Rob.
2: So anyone who's anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm the guy that perpetually says, yeah, I'll see you there. And I never show up. Um, Not right. So I, I, it's probably one of my biggest regrets that I haven't gone to a lot of conventions. Um, and that I've only actually been to one large convention. That's even slightly nerd related or movie related in 2013. Uh, Kyle gave me a phone call. I had an extra pass to go to New York comic-con and it was just kind of saying, Hey, yeah, you want it? You want to go? So I, Jumped on the chance, right? Like, I, I'd never been. I'd only ever seen it from afar. And I got to go, and uh, we managed to secure ourselves some pretty good access passes, early access. And I got to go into Comic-Con before they opened to the general public. And well, we was... got exhibitor
3: passes. Exhibitor. Yeah, we had exhibitor
2: passes. I don't know what we, we were exhibiting. S- we weren't selling shit, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, so... It was really cool getting in before the rest of the crowds did. I got to see a lot of people setting up. got to talk to a lot of vendors. Uh, but one of the real reasons why I was really excited to go is because at that time, Star Wars, the Clone Wars had kind of come to an end. And there was some talk about the start of a new series. Some information had been out. But they were having a huge Star Wars panel on the next phase of shows. And one of the people who was leading the, the panel was Pablo Hidalgo. And is that the guy who plays Moon Knight? Uh, no, is that no, Isaac, no. Pablo, whatever his name is. <laughs> um, but Pablo Hidalgo is pretty much the head of Lucasfilm story group in terms of Canon. He's the chief commander. Like it has to pass his desk in order to be considered Canon. And honestly, like he's probably the, the reigning expert on all things, star Wars, like legends, Canon and current Canon, uh, I don't always see eye to eye with some of his thoughts on things, but he's, and I, I mean, I would say, I mean, Chris, I'm sure you follow some of this stuff. I would say Pablo Hidalgo is pretty much one of the authoritarian voices on Star Wars Canon.
0: Yeah. He has no problem letting you know if your fan theory is Canon or not. <laughs> yeah, he's,
2: he doesn't, he doesn't mince words. Um, So I didn't think I could get access to the panel because they were reserved ahead of time, but then they were like, Oh, you have an exhibitor pass. Yeah. you're You're granted automatic access to this. And I was like, "Uh, okay." So I got to go sit in like a special section. Uh, meanwhile, I think I don't know, Kyle, what you were off doing, but you were off. I like, think that's doing when it. I was waiting for t- Jason David Frank. It's watching yes. nice girls, you yes. know. Yes. Well, that too. Uh, yeah. So he was waiting to get the Green Rangers autograph. Yeah. Uh, well,
3: either that or the photo op. It was or San Lee's photo op. It was something because I did all somebody. that in one day, I think.
2: So I went in and I sat down at the panel, and I remember blazing across the screen it said star wars rebels and it was the announcement of the new series Paula hidalgo came out uh they like did like a video link chat of dave filoni who was off in asia working on a project and it was just so cool because these are people who i really idolized and thought the world of especially dave filoni who you know i i always say in dave we trust even though he does get a little crazy out there sometimes, but he's really done a lot for star Wars and a lot for that franchise and just being there first, seeing a lot of stuff first before the world was going to know, right before it was on, on the internet before it was on Facebook, before it was in the press releases, like I was getting it first. And as a star Wars fan, that was really, really cool for me. Uh, And then they brought out mics and they kind of asked people, Hey, if you have questions, like, you can jump in line and raise your hand and we'll pull you over. And I made it into the line for the questions. Um, and I got up to the mic and I pretty much dropped the ball. And I was like, um, 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 cause I just, excuse, <laughs> me? excuse me. No way. Uh, really? Yeah. I, I was, I froze. Cause I was like, I don't know what to say. And then I'm going to look like, for
1: the panel on YouTube later. Said, yeah.
2: All right, kid, get out of here. All <laughs> um, right. But I, I asked Pablo Hidalgo to an, to an effect. Um, what the the mortis arc what kind of an influence that would have on uh clone wars i mean sorry on rebels because they unveiled the villain who was the grand inquisitor who looked suspiciously like a previously designed character from the mortis arc and uh i was surprised that nobody asked that question and i think pablo was surprised too because he's like he's like you know that was a that was a great observation and he's like uh you know you'll really have to see when it comes out but uh a lot of mysticism will play a role going forward. And yeah, that definitely played out. I mean, Chris, I would say Rebels is a ton of force mysticism.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're falling through magic portals at one point. Yeah, it is pretty wild. They and and mainly crank up the magic wolf stuff in the final season, too.
2: I so. love it. A lot of Princess Mononoke influences. Big time, big time. Uh so yeah, that's kind of my convention. Sorry, guys, I'm not as I'm not boring. Uh, you know, uh, maybe you're one not day boring. we'll hold wait, what? Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not as exciting oh, like, as, wait, as you guys are. I'm pretty boring. Uh but I think I'm just committed to the cause. Listen, you live, eat, and breathe the cause, my friend. So Chris, I know you have a couple special ones, and before I fully pass it over, my I've always wanted to go to G Fest. So Chris, at some point like
3: G Spot Fest. We gotta we go. It's Gundam, I think.
2: Godzilla. Gundam style. Oh godzilla. Oh yeah, godzilla, yeah, godzilla Fest in but, Chicago, baby. But Chris has got to go to G Fest and he got to go to a very special G Fest. So I'll let you go from this point.
0: Yeah, I've been to a couple G Fests. Actually, I went to two. Um, nothing super notable. The one you're referring to was at those G Fests, Rob. It was actually when I was, I think it was Monster Palooza and Cherry Hill. So oh, yes. Your yeah. Name right. Um, I met there, no, in it's a monster mania, monster mania. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for correcting. I was but... like
1: monster Palooza. That's in
0: California. Yeah. <laughs> I always yeah. get them mixed up cause they're so close, but basically after, um, well, I went to the convention with my girlfriend and I got to meet the original suit actor for Godzilla and got to meet all the suit actors for Godzilla, which was cool. And then after we went to a private dinner where we got to sit at the tables and really kind of hang out and get to know them, which was amazing. How did you do that? Uh, basically, through a couple connections, I was able to get in and get a ticket for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to a nice hibachi place, which is pretty cool. And I it was really that's nice. racist. To- honestly, yeah, so. that's <laughs> racist. I'm going gonna- <laughs>
3: to point that one out. I don't know about oh, that the one.
0: food was good. So yeah. I was the one who planned it. They just told me when and where. But it was really great. I really loved it. I had a good time. Got to meet Nakajima. He was an amazing guy. Uh, 90 years old and flying halfway around the world, basically. But he was still pretty spry, which is cool um something cool too at the convention i can't recall his name but he designed a lot of the godzilla monsters in the 90s and 2000s you get his art book he would draw you a specific monster and i picked this one called dagara and rob i don't know if you remember that one it's i the, remember dagara, Yeah, the most niche monster you could pick
2: that's a that's and a random one that's i know a deep,
0: cut. <laughs> deep cut as you say um but basically, the guy had no idea how to draw it. He was like, it's been 20 years since I've even had to draw this thing. And I was like, oh, and he actually was like looking it up on his phone as the line as he was drawing it was getting longer. And I'm like, it's OK, you could just draw Godzilla. And at the end, <laughs> he does it goes oh, too complicated and just hands me the book. Was it and a white like, guy? I was Like, no, it was a uh, Japanese guy. Oh, OK. So and then it was cool. One of the things I loved was when we were having dinner with Nakajima. This was right around when Godzilla 2014 just came out. I asked him, what did he think of the Mudo's? Those are the monsters, all fight fights in those. And the translator explained it to him and he just goes, ugh, and like rolls his eyes. Then he sits and goes, says something. And the translator goes, he said they were a very American monster. And I kind of <laughs> laughed. And I was like, you know what? I was like, they're kind of those weird, lopey, long-limbed giant monsters we got in droves after Cloverfield. Mm. So, yeah, very but generic I was like, you know, shit. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, you know what? Can't get a better take on it than that. So, <laughs> and I was like, for what it's worth, I'm glad they really went uh, ham. So everyone knows those are American monsters. That's pretty cool. So, um, but all kinds of stuff. Also, I went to the same convention a couple of years later and I met the guy who played Godzilla in one movie, GMK. And his whole gimmick as a suit actor was he was really tall in Japan, really big guy. And I got there and he was like the exact same height as me. And he was going through taking pictures. And I took a picture with him and they asked, oh, the translator's like, can he get a private picture with you? He wants to send it to his parents. And I was like, Oh, that's not a problem. Why? And they're like, well, like he's never met someone as tall as him before. He wanted to send a picture of like, there's someone as tall (laughs) as I am there, which was really cool. I was like, oh, that's really funny. And then my mom later, she's like, you should have told him about your dad because my dad's like six two or something like even taller than I am. So my dad's Godzilla compared to him in terms of height, but that was just a really cool, (laughs) and I love meeting them. They were, I met all the guys who played Godzilla. They're really cool people, very genuine, very nice. And they're very humble with everything. Like you can tell they just love seeing how much people adore Godzilla and how much it means to them.
1: This was in the, this was within the last five years, right?
0: Um, maybe, maybe the past five years now, a little before then. It was all before 2020. No, so, I know that for I, sure
1: because I, I remember Monster Mania having them, and I told Rob about it.
0: Yeah, I was friends with
1: I was friends with uh, Rob at this point, and we like told him, like, bro, I know you're into Godzilla. Like,
2: yeah, I blew it. I blew yeah. it. I, I think I don't... it
0: was oh, it was summer 2015 because it was my after my first semester. of Montclair Rob was when I got to go to this.
2: So. I was right around the time that you and I uh, became friends. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yes. Yeah, so yeah. that
2: would make sense. Uh, yeah, ripped to Haru and Akajima. I missed that opportunity
0: yes he passed away a couple years ago sadly but i have a bunch of figures signed by them too i have uh, rodan signed by nakajima he played rodan in the first movie too i have a godzilla signed by him i have a couple Godzilla signed so cool stuff man you know can never go wrong with conventions i love them i wish i could go back to them but to your guy's point like they're getting so crowded now that's oh, way like, too crowded you know you can't even breathe let alone like get a moment to actually sit and talk with people
1: yeah, it's impossible. They're
2: they're more
3: like autograph mills now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's autograph yeah. and then move on. Like don't. Yeah, they don't yeah, want don't, you
2: to spend time. I don't think you'll ever be able to have Hibachi with the Godzilla suit actor again. Like, mm-hmm.
0: no, once in a lifetime. And my girlfriend was there too. She was a trooper through the whole thing. <laughs> she, know what the f- she like night. Godzilla,
1: or she's like, dude, this shit sucks.
0: She was like, Why are we here? Like, I remember <laughs> actually have a snap saved on my phone of her sitting in a chair in the lobby of the hotel at like 8 a.m. It just says, Is it time to go home yet?
2: Oh my
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> so, a fun thing, actually, a funny moment she had is the guy who designed the monsters, he had his own panel. And the first monster he designed was Bialani, who's a huge fan favorite with Godzilla. And the whole panel was silent as he was designing it. And he goes to the translator. And through a translator, they say, Oh, he's his issue with a lot of plant monsters was it's like animals with plant traits. So he's like, What if we do a plant with animal traits? Like reverse Mm -hmm. engineer it. And as they said that, as he drew, like two seconds later, my girlfriend just goes super loud. Oh, I get it now. (laughs) (laughs) Silent panel. And I just remember he like looked over the crowd quick and went back to drawing and I was like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, and crazy enough in both the Godzilla panels, I sat next to the angry video game nerd while I was there. too. Oh, wow. Yeah, he doesn't oh, go wow. anymore. I don't know why. I never, I didn't ask him for a question. It was kind of a little awkward with yeah. him, to, uh, but I, I talked to him for a little bit. He seemed like a really cool guy. He actually there. So it was the art panel with how they designed the monsters. Like, mm-hmm one in between and then the Godzilla suit actors and I came back in he goes oh Chris I saved you a seat I put my bag up here and I was like oh thanks man that's really cool really appreciate that so I kind of wish I got a picture with him but at Mm -hmm. the same time I was like I don't want to get a picture with you and then everyone recognize you and then I ruin your time at the con you know what I mean maybe
3: that's why he saved you a seat because you weren't like fanboying over him you know
0: yeah (laughs) yes yeah Yeah. I know
1: when Kyle and I first started going he would the guy his name's like what James Ralph or James something mm -hmm. like
0: yeah, I think it's James something.
1: Yeah, so he would always go to Monster Mania but then he just stopped going one year.
3: Mhm.
0: Well, yeah. cuz he's he's
1: out of Voorhees New Jersey, right? I don't know where he lives now.
2: Yeah, I know he's in, I know he's born and, and raised in
3: New Jersey. And that's right over there if it is Voorhees, yeah. that's like right yeah. there.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he grew up in Voorhees and like he, cuz he's <laughs> talked about in interviews like what it was like growing up in New Jersey in like the 80s and like the the game and and, and movie scene in the state.
0: Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah good stuff guys like i said i wish they weren't so overcrowded you know i'd go into more absolutely so i
1: was going to bring up also um since you guys are godzilla fans uh there's a convention called days of the dead and they're doing like a monster convention in the first week in september maybe in a couple weeks and i know they have a I, i i would butcher their names if you just google it right now probably days of the dead's like it's called like monster attack or something like that and uh they have a bunch of different people going to that i don't um I know they were gonna have the one guy from this movie um, that just passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple, what's his name? Um,
0: Akira Takarada.
1: Yeah, so he was he. They announced him, and then the next day he passed away. And I'm like,
0: yeah. I remember really? I told
1: Kyle that I'm like, uh, I don't think this that, guy's going to this convention anymore.
0: I'm gonna tell
2: you right now that that hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Takara, Takarada is passing. Anybody in the Godzilla fandom, we felt that that was. Uh, I feel like that was a a different. I don't think we felt a loss quite like that since uh, Nakajima. And then honestly, like Ifuka Bay and uh, Honda before Mm -hmm. that, definitely up there because of how prolific he was in the series. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. He was in a bunch of the sequels too. Um, The same for another couple of actors in the movie. I'll highlight who it was, but a couple of them were in a bunch of Godzilla movies and they always were happy to be in them.
2: Which is a perfect segue because I think it's time we jump into the main event. So as mentioned before, we're doing Godzilla from 1954. Uh, I could go through a lot of these cast members, but the thing is, is that aside from one in particular, a lot of them are just Toho staples. And I think we talked about this when we did audition that Mm. the way Japanese film studios work is they basically hire actors and contract them. And then those actors are just basically appearing in those in-house productions. So Toho Films at this time had a lot of young actors who were trying to make it in the film industry. And many of these actors would go on to be Toho mainstays. uh, And we'll talk about that. But the one actor in particular that I want to bring up, which is a little bit of a different subject here, is uh, Takashi Shimura. Takashi Shimura uh, plays Dr. Kyohei Yamane in Godzilla. And I think the reason he's so significant is because he... Doesn't really go on to be prolific in Godzilla films. He actually goes on to be very prolific in Akira Kurosawa films. And uh, I don't know if any of you, I know Chris, you're probably familiar with Akira Kurosawa. I don't know if Kyle, you are, Mark. No idea. Um, I didn't seven, even know if, that was a
1: thing until right
2: now. If you've ever heard of Seven Samurai? Yes. Uh, so Akira Kurosawa is considered the defining director, filmmaker of the samurai genre. Um, he, Rashomon, uh Seven Samurai, there are tons of films. There's some of the Zatoichi films. He kind of defined the genre and Takashi Shimura would appear in the, he has the, he holds the record for appearing in the most Akira Kurosawa films. And obviously Akira Kurosawa is big for us because well about us, I mean, Chris and I, and even Kyle, because Akira Kurosawa would be a huge influence on George Lucas and how he designed the Jedi, how he designed lightsaber duels. Um, he cited the Kurosawa films as a huge, specifically Seven Samurai, as a huge influence. So he's kind of the mainstay. We also have Akihiko Harada, who plays Dr. Sarazawa. Uh, once again, um, these next few actors to me, I don't know if you guys found anything in particular of note, but a lot of them is just tons of Godzilla and Kaiju films. Because once this film gets made, Toho realizes they've got a cash cow. And they milk it big time. Um, I don't remember how many, Chris. The, I don't know if you remember how many Godzilla films are pretty much made between okay. between then and like the nineteen eighties.
0: I think the Showa era is like fifteen or something. If I'm getting my numbers right, currently it stands past thirty. Once they hit like holy shit, really? I was just like, well, yeah. Me, I'm not even going to try and keep track anymore.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, we I think we're at thirty-two now with the most recent films. Thirty? No, thirty-three. Mm-hmm. So, the 1960s and 70s, a lot of these actors would just play like recurring roles, like I'm now the scientist in this movie, or I'm now the doctor in this movie. Like, they just became. I mean, if if you're constantly getting paycheck signed, why not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you got guaranteed films. Uh, we also have Akira Takarada, who uh, you know we just mentioned before. He had the distinction of appear being one of the actors that appeared in the most Godzilla films. He was a mainstay throughout the Showa and. Uh, aspects of the Heisei era, and then finally reprised his role. I think in the Millennium era, it was just Godzilla Final Wars that he just reprised his role. Uh, but he he was so good about the films and about the gi- giant monster genre in general. Like I feel like he was really uh, willing to always give good interviews, and he talked very candidly about his experiences. Uh, at least that's my experience with Takarada. Um, and he was one of those persons that would stop and talk to kids like if the kids were like, oh, my God, I recognize you like he would like do a picture and talk to people. He he just was really personable.
0: He was a frequent guest at G Fest. He would go all the time. One of my regrets is the one of the both times I went to G Fest. He wasn't there. So it's like just missed him by a hair.
3: You're telling me that Don Fry wasn't in the most Godzilla films <laughs>
2: that listen, Don Fry was in. Is he in Don Godzilla? Fly, yeah, oh, yeah, Godzilla. yeah, Godzilla Final Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is arguably regarded as possibly one of the worst of all of them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, depending actually. on your flavor and depending on how, what you're feeling. Uh, if you're looking just for insanity and just a wild time, it's a great film. Awesome. If you're looking for any type of a plot, don't watch it. It's not there. Um, And finally, I'm going to mention the last person I, I wanted to say is uh, Momoko Koichi, uh, Kochi, which is Emiko Yamane. Who would only appear in, and Chris, I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure she only appears in two Godzilla films.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. It's this one, and then she actually plays the same character again forty something years later in Godzilla vs. Destroyer. Holy yep. shit! Yep. Yeah, I which was that. in
2: Godzilla vs. Destroyer was originally supposed to be the final Godzilla film. It was supposed to be the capstone end, and it ties. It honestly, like story wise, it ties really well to the first film. And so her character arc makes a lot of sense where she is and how she functions in that film. So uh, I don't know if anybody else wanted to mention other character at all or wanted to mention anything in particular. So um, there's not a
0: ton here. Do you want to mention one? Yeah, I was going to say just a shout out to um, Haru Nakajima who plays the star of the movie Godzilla himself. So anytime Absolutely. you see the suit in action, it's him in there uh, fighting against it.
2: And we'll talk a little bit more about Nakajima and how he kind of, originated that role and uh, let himself be horrifically abused in that suit to to make happen what he did. So why don't we jump right into the film? So the movie opens with the text saying, made with the support of the Japanese Coast Guard, followed by heavy looming footsteps as the title scrolls up with the iconic, no, now iconic, menacing roar very different than what you would see in the American cut, which we will also discuss, but we begin to see kind of the classic credits roll. I had forgotten that this is a thing. Like I, I was so accustomed to the way the American one opens because the American one opens just roar. And then it cuts to the first scene with the boat. Like that whole credit scene isn't there. So I had forgotten. I was sitting there. I was like, Oh wow, this credit scene is long. I yeah, forgot should that probably this...
1: watch the American version. That took about three minutes of my life. watching.
2: The credits. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is, this is long, but, um, it, I think it does a kind of a good job of also setting the atmosphere of the, of, of the film, like you know, the, the the droning, thudding footsteps of the creature. And once that concludes, we open up to a fishing boat at sea. We see some sailors playing music, relaxing after a long day at work, when a bright light flashes from a distance, and we see the ocean bubbling with some bright flashing strobing lights, and this this music swelling, and next thing you know, you hear like this dissonant roar or almost like this what you would assume might be a roar and the boat catches fire beginning to sink and as it's sinking there are some uh frantic maydays being sent and i think that i i always remembered from when i was younger like when the guy sent the mayday like how just sweaty he is and panicked and then the water just rushing through the bulkhead uh i thought i thought it was a pretty cool scene and i think that for the time period a lot of the miniatures are pretty well done I thought it was pretty funny that when the water starts coming in, like
3: it comes at them and they fly like all forward. Yeah. <laughs> that
2: was yeah. What, yeah. A little might, might not have been the best direction. Like no. maybe they didn't tell him where he was going to get hit and he just assumed.
0: Uh, My favorite was how he throws himself on the desk just a second too early for the water to come in. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, unfortunately, some of the, I, I feel like the filming was a little tight in certain areas. So they're just like, yeah, we're keeping that take. We're moving on. Um, we cut to the salvage office where we see Hedeto Ogata. I'll just call him Ogata from this point. Picks up the phone, receiving the news that one of their vessels had been downed. Uh, we're also introduced to Emiko Yamane, who we're not really sure of the relationship at this point in the film. They just kind of introduced them together. I'm still but, not, and I've watched it, honestly. Yeah, well, it, you have to kind of understand. He
1: sent her to the opera or something like that, right? Uh, <laughs> He's like, you got to go to the opera.
2: There's a there's a cultural context there that you can, yeah. that if you kind of know you know. Um, I'm not in
1: the know, and I don't think Kyle is either. So,
2: so uh, in this time period, arranged marriages in Japan were still extremely common. So he, she was arranged with the other guy, but she wants to be with this guy, pretty much. And so she was a whore. I guess
1: <laughs> she's a cheating whore.
2: Um, that's how I always read it, Chris. That that she was kind of. Dr. Sarazawa and Dr. Yamane were colleagues, and you know he was kind of a protege of Yamane's, and so it was kind you of like prior gallery. prior to U.S. occupation and a lot of changes and Westernization of Japan. So we some want traditional it. things, <laughs> yeah, some uh, some traditional values. Still stood. You mean us laying the smackdown? The <laughs> so watches, but uh, there's you a like lot Germany? of Germany. There's anymore. a lot of nuances there. Um, that I could probably go into, but it will take about six years to get done. So
0: That's just true. to clarify, um, and they do like each oh. other, and they are in love, and they want to be together, but she's already arranged to Sarazawa, but she establishes that her and Sarazawa are more like friends, or have like a brother-sister relationship than anything romantic. Gotcha. So right. the main kind of human drama is... Her and Ogata want to get married and you know have a future together, but Saraza was kind of that man in the way unintentionally.
2: Do they
1: Which, still do arranged marriages in Japan?
0: I think it can happen, but I
2: think it's I a lot a lot less prevalent. Um what what I will say is that I feel like a lot of Japanese at that time. Could most likely relate to that because a lot of soldiers coming home from the war and you know things that were arranged prior to the war and then put on hold for many years, things changing, uh, a lot of social and cultural upheaval. I think it 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 was appropriate for the time period. Uh, but yeah, one he, of the
0: themes in the movie you get is definitely a strong kind of old Japan versus new Japan, kind of just and even just everything traditional. Right. I, I can see that. that too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Don't um, oh, know. So. Basically, Ogata tells Emiko, like, sorry, I got to cancel plans this evening. We've got a boat down. I need to go to the Coast Guard's office. Now, we transition to our next scene. We're at the Coast Guard, and they're kind of discussing the situation surrounding the sinking of what they call the the Eikomaru, and they're launching patrol vessels to Kind of figure out what exactly happened. The Coast Guard officer, one of them likens it to the Myojin-sho volcano eruption, which, because of Japan's placement, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, crazy events, tsunamis, those things happen. So, a vessel going down randomly, you know, all of a sudden losing, like saying there was a loud explosion sound and then we're going down. I mean, it does make sense. So, they send the Bingo Maru to approach the area and that ship goes down the exact same way. We get the same bubbling, lights, sounds, and that ship goes down. So this is where things start getting a little sus, right? We've got two ships down in the same area, and the Coast Guard's pretty confused. I, I just want to bring up the reason why the Coast Guard gets mentioned a lot in this is because after the uh, occupation from the United States, Japan Japan's Navy had been gutted. Uh, most of its ships had been scuttled and gotten rid of. And they passed an article in their constitution that forbade them from holding a standing army. They could only hold a small self-defense force to control territorial lands and waters. And 1954 was the first full year of no occupation. So the year this film came out was the first year that Japan had its full autonomy back. And so the coast guard was the new coast guard, the newly allowed thing. So seeing these ships This was really the first time many Japanese were seeing their vessels sailing on open water again on film. So it was kind of a really big deal culturally at that time to see that. Families and reporters are starting to kind of read out the news and anxiously wait for more information. They're demanding a greater search response. And that's when the first set of survivors are rescued by a fishing boat. Now, in the American version, it goes a little bit differently. So I was kind of unprepared for what happened next. Uh, But next thing you know, the sea erupts into flames. And we find out that that boat has sunk, too. I don't know if you guys caught that. They said that that boat went down as well. Yeah. Yeah. In the American cut, that doesn't happen.
1: Didn't watch the American cut.
2: Yeah, in the American cut, it totally doesn't happen that way. There's like two sinkings. And they're like, okay, that's it. So once the families uh, find out that the names have been found, I thought this was pretty wild, like how they just surge through the Coast Guard officer, like trying to break down the door to figure out what happened to their loved ones, which is when they find out that the people who got rescued are definitely dead now. And um, I
1: don't know if this is built in a set or just Japanese don't know how to build stuff correctly, but when they were trying to bust through that door, the whole wall looked like it was going to fall down that's just oh it probably japanese,
3: was yeah it's japanese filmmaking
1: filmmaking yeah. or like how they live like, because like their like sets shit.
3: no 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 it's their okay sets that, <laughs> that, like that <laughs> if you if if you watch japanese stuff you'll notice that like almost everything is
2: like a set
1: mm-hmm. sound
2: stages yeah tons tons yes. of sound stages yeah exactly. i don't know
1: if it was shot on location or not you know
2: like if you look at a lot of godzilla films and stuff you'll see that it's basically they rent out a warehouse and they build like 24 different sets mm-hmm. and just kind of film them in those micro sets and even Godzilla, most of his ocean scenes, it's a giant above ground swimming pool with like a painted picture in the background Mm -hmm. and they just fly things around him. So it's, yeah, that's just how they do it. Um, And this is where we get the first signs of old Japan versus new Japan. And I think this is really cool. I don't know, Kyle, if you thought this was pretty cool, but the, we go to uh, Oto Island and Japan has, especially in this time period and even in modern day has a little bit of a disconnect between the metropolitan mainland islands and some of the smaller villages on outer islands, especially in the North of Japan, the Ainu people uh, who are like natives of Japan, even these small fishing villages. And these villagers see a raft floating and are quick to rescue them uh, saying to build up a fire fire. And we find out that one of the survivors is uh, a man named uh, Masaji, who is a brother of one of the young villagers he kind of is, I guess you would say, on death's doorstep, but for now he makes it. And we find out that local fishing boats in the area are their nets are turning up empty. And this is where I was like, This is probably going to be Kyle's favorite line of the whole movie. Uh, where the old man, the you know, the elder of the village looks at it and says, You know, oh, this got to be Godzilla doing that. And like a bunch of young Japanese girls are like, Oh, you silly old man, it's not Godzilla. And he says something like, Listen here, he's like, You better respect tradition or i'll feed you to godzilla you stupid cows yep i was like that's i did take note of that
1: i didn't hear him say that but i don't know japanese yeah
2: he's like he's like i'll feed them cows to godzilla takes Uh, it very
0: personally they don't believe in godzilla
2: yeah yeah and because in traditional um shinto rituals and stuff like you know spirits and creature spirits are nothing new in japan Mm-hmm. The idea of guardian spirits or guardian creatures or vengeful spirits, vengeful creatures. That's nothing new to that. Like the grudge. Yokai. Yokai. Yep. So uh, this is where we start getting some of the first. I couldn't tell. And I, maybe, Chris, maybe you could tell. Uh, this looked like some like reporters arriving and some government officials. Mm-hmm. Like it looked mm-hmm. like some maybe like police or, or Coast Guard arriving.
0: Yeah, what I assume the people with the reporters were probably just some Coast Guard personnel, kind of just like, hey, like, have you guys seen anything? We've gotten the same report over and over. We've seen weird lights in the ocean. Have you noticed anything, you know, off at the fishing? And a lot of the villagers don't even want to talk about it. Like that one reporter asks him, like, well, what's going on? He's like, well, I like how the one guy's like, I know what it is, but you'll call me crazy. And the guy's like, well, what is it? And he just kind of storms off to go back to tend to his cows. So. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone on the island is almost afraid to talk about what's out there.
2: Right. And there's that sense of they understand it, but no one wants to accept it or admit it. Um, and then I think we get to me, one of the cooler scenes of the film, uh, we get a Shinto ritual. Uh, we get a traditional island ritual and the reporter's kind of sitting, watching this uh, performance going on. He asks the old man, like, you know, what's, what is this? And he says, well, this is uh, part of the old ritual involving uh, the mythical creature of Godzilla. And legends say that once it eats all the fish in the sea, it will come ashore and eat the people. And in the old days, they would sacrifice a young girl by sending her out on a raft to appease Godzilla. Um, but the current dance is the only, the, the presentation going on is the only remaining part of that exorcism ritual. And I think that's a cool little thing there, showing how like Japan is you know, obviously sacrificing young girls It's probably a little antiquated by 1954, uh, but that they're still trying to preserve elements of the tradition. And I thought that that scene was really cool. I don't know if anybody else wanted to offer. I mean, I
0: liked it. Oh, go ahead.
3: No, go go ahead. I don't have anything productive to say. Trust me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming we have the same idea. No, I was going to say it is interesting, Rob. Um, and almost from, and this is like the nerd side of it, from an in-universe perspective, I'm curious what the history is with Godzilla, because we know Godzilla split into different continuities, and the uh, one with the original film is called the Showa era, and other Godzillas show up, two of them do, so I'm very curious what the past was like for Odo Island, if they... Had a Godzilla show. Well, they must have had a Godzilla show at some point, but I'm just curious what that story could be. I find it interesting too, Rob, because they almost play the scene exactly the same in the American cut, where instead of explaining it to a reporter, they're explaining it to the American character, Steve Martin, in the film. um, What's going on, what Godzilla is, and they kind of substitute him for the reporter in the scene.
2: Yeah, so as I mentioned, um, in the American cut, they had uh, Raymond Burr, who was a famous actor at the time who had done like shows like Perry Mason. They basically like recut a bunch of scenes of him into these context scenes, like where things were expositions being explained, but they're like, okay, like everybody's speaking Japanese. What'd they say? And then they'll be like, Oh, Mr. Martin, this is what they said. You're like, okay, like, that's cool. Just it. his whole thing is basically said, like, I'm going to guide the American audience through this. We're not going to dub anything over. We're not going to subtitle. I'll just let you know what's going on guys. I got you covered.
0: My That's favorite true. line from him, Rob, is when it's one of those scenes with the Coast Guard, and he just turns to someone and goes, oh, my Japanese is a little rusty. I <laughs> just always like that line. Like,
2: it's a legit scene where they they're, they're, they have the conversation from the film in Japanese, and he's looking at them like, hmm, and then he just goes, my Japanese is a little rusty. Can you please explain this to me? And then I'm like, uh, do we have to? Okay. I respect it. Um so, wait, what were we going to say, Kyle? That wasn't productive. I was gonna say, yeah, they, were, they were going to
3: send the girls anywhere. They, they could send them to my house. Part of tradition <laughs> now, if they want, and I'll take them.
2: Kyle's ad, Kyle's name on his deed to his house just changed to Godzilla. That's right. Saw send a rover over here. raft floating down the river. And just as this uh, exorcism ritual begins to come to a close, it seems like it's not working too well because a massive storm begins to wreak havoc on Odo Island. And This is where we start, in my opinion, early on, we get some like little horror elements. To me, this is where we're starting to get some actual horror elements. You know, the mood, the lighting, the music, the the storm, the wind howling, and just the anxiety on Masaji's face having survived Godzilla. Almost like this entity is coming for him. And we begin to hear the footsteps and the ground shaking. And uh, Shinkiji, who is the younger brother of Masaji, goes outside to look. And just as Masaji runs after him, he admits this look of like pure terror on his face. Uh, And intelligently left, they don't cut to anything. They just stay on him for a moment. And then they cut to uh the house basically being leveled he he runs back to his mother and holds on to his mother in the house and they cuddle up and like they kind of curl up in a fetal position to try to survive as the whole place comes crashing down around him and you're you, you, if you're first time watching this and you have no concept like you your brain's like was it the storm what was it what was that creature what could do such a thing what could level a home like that because you have to figure at this time the, the two biggest monster movies to come out were our large monster movies were King Kong in the 1930s and just a year prior, uh, 20, 20,000 fathoms. Right. So we haven't really done this, especially in Japanese cinema. This hasn't been done other. Well, I know Chris is going to pull me on the whole King Kong and in, in Edo thing that got lost. There's a King Kong film that got lost in the Tok- great Tokyo fire
0: King Kong and samurai times. Hmm. Back okay. in the day, they kind of just took King Kong and like, ah, oh, what are they going to do? Just make a King Kong movie. You know, they won't sue us, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. And then we fi- they firebomb Tokyo. They said, you're not going to release that film. I don't so, them. <laughs> so we kind of get a zoom out and we see that the helicopter was destroyed as well. So obviously this storm was more than just a storm. And this is where we cut to the, uh, I can never maybe Chris, or somebody can correct me. Is it diet or diet? It's the diet
0: building from what I've heard.
2: Correct. So that's the name of the Japanese parliament. That's their seat of government. And you got to remember very significant. First time in post-occupied Japan, this is the Japanese government functioning on its own as a, basically a full-on democracy. There's some elements here also that are pretty, pretty cool, but I'll go into that shortly. So at this Meeting the headman of Odo, uh, Mr. Inada is addressing the parliament saying, you know, itemizing his damages and his losses because, you know, you're trying to get government support. And villages are testifying that this was not a storm, that this damage was caused by something crushing it from above. And Dr. Yamane, who is introduced as the foremost leading authority, uh, authority on paleontology, is kind of introduced to explain his thoughts and his theories. And I think the first thing I like that he says is he's like, uh, I'm reserved about testifying because I haven't seen the site yet. Like, it's not like this expert's like, oh, well, it has to be this. Well, well, like right away, he's kind of, and I think that's a little more realistic, where he's just kind of saying like, listen, based on these reports, it could be this, but like I'm telling you, I'm very reserved to give you an opinion right now. But he does say, I mean, there are mysteries out there like the abominable snowman, things that we hear reports of, anecdotal evidence that we haven't observed. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not real, and. He mentions deep cavities in the sea where we can't really fathom what secrets are there, but he does recommend an emergency team be dispatched. And this is where the main the cast really starts to come together, in my opinion. Uh, we see Ogata Emiko, who we find out is the daughter of Dr. Nirvane, uh, embarking on their research voyage. And as they leave, we see a man on the docks with an eye patch who we'll find out is uh, Dr. Sarazawa, who Emiko is engaged to uh and Ogata kind of says that Sarazawa rarely leaves his lab so it might be kind of ominous for him to be waving goodbye on the dock like that dude doesn't come out for anything maybe he thinks we're never coming back so at least that's how I kind of read it I don't know if anybody else read it that way
0: I thought that was interesting too I would never actually thought of it that way and how many times I've seen this movie so I did find myself questioning though when they are in the ocean and Ogata tells Emiko like you know anything could be down there we have no clue what we're sailing in and I'm like are you really being serious? Or are you just saying that? Uh, you know, go put your arm, put your arm around my arm, baby. I'll keep you safe from whatever <laughs> <at. laughs> bubbling up from the bottom of the ocean.
3: It's not a bad technique. I like it. I'm gonna steal it.
1: We're we'll calling
3: <laughs> it the—that's the Ogata technique.
1: I'll write that one the down.
2: <laughs> and Kyle Jutsu—that's his—that's his new technique. Uh, so now we get the team arriving to Odo, and I feel like this is where the movie's pacing starts to move up a little bit. Uh the team arrives and begins touring the damage and we see the first use of a Geiger meter and we're starting to bring radiation into play, which will play a huge theme in the movie. Um, They're kind of confused because like radiation, they mentioned that if radiation, if this was fallout, which at this time, nuclear testing was going on in the Pacific, if this was fallout, it would generally affect a a wider area. It wouldn't be concentrated in very specific spots like that. So they're kind of confused as to why that is. And this is when Dr. Yamane is standing in a large hole measuring it and kind of says to another guy, like, would you believe me if I told you this is a footprint? I don't know who would look, would look him in the eye and be like, yes, I believe you, sir. Like hundred percent. This is, this is actually a footprint, but this is kind of cool because I don't know if you know this, Chris, but Mark's favorite Godzilla movie is the 1998 film with Matthew Broderick. That movie's good. That's the only one, honestly.
1: That's the only one I've ever seen other than this. Not even lying. I've only and seen two Godzilla movies, and this is the second one.
2: That's probably one of the only scenes in that movie that's an actual homage to the original, the footprints, and like measuring them. What and about the Godzilla? A, yeah, what do you mean? The iguanodon? Whoa. Yeah. You mean you mean Zilla? That's Godzuki. As he's trademarked. Dude, Godzuki's good. Did you did you guys know that? <laughs> well, that's Godzuki. No, he has the, he in Japan, he's trademarked as
0: Zilla. They won't call him Godzilla. When Toho got the um, I forget how the contract worked exactly, but when they got it back and they had the rights to use the monster, they rebranded it as Zilla so they wouldn't have to go through the hoops with it.
2: And then in Godzilla Final Wars, they put him in the movie for a minute and they like made him the worst garbage CGI on Earth. And they had suitmation Godzilla literally kill him in two seconds, <laughs> like
0: brutalize him. You know, Rob, that Zilla in that movie was actually supposed to be Gorosaurus originally. Was it really? Yeah, that's who it originally was. But when the director's like, Can I put the American Godzilla in? They said they they like talked with their the, the lawyers and they're like, Well, our lawyers said it shouldn't be an issue. So if you want.
2: Why not? Kyle, were you gonna say
3: something? No, it's just the I, So this the one from the 1998
2: one is Zilla. That's what we're talking about.
3: Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha.
2: And then like in later films, oh, no. they would like in later Godzilla films, like they'd be like, Did you hear about the attack in America? And they're like, Our experts aren't so sure that was Godzilla. Uh, like there's like a lot of like tongue in cheek stuff about it but as i've said before i love that i think it's a monster movie i love it it's just never really resonated with me but i digress so this is the one part that like always makes me scratch my head because as they're examining the footprint the scientist with the geiger meter gets in there and he's like hey yo this is super radioactive like you need to all get back and Dr. Yamada is just standing there and he goes, oh, what's this? And he picks up a little creature and he's like, a trilobite. This has been extinct for millions of years. And he shows the like the doctor with the Geiger meter. He goes, that's radioactive. You probably shouldn't be touching things with your bare hand. He's like, oh, you're right. And then immediately goes back to touching things with his bare hands. Like a second later is like putting his hands in water and stuff. I'm like, I don't, I think literally in the post-credits, they probably should have said he died a year later of radiation poisoning.
0: I like too, Rob, that his first instinct when he has this little radioactive, he's like, oh, daughter, Emiko, come over here. Let's put this in a box. (laughs) So I was like, I hope that box is radiation proof.
2: We just we ship this back in my he's like, I put it in my pants pocket. What's the worst it'll do?
0: Although it is interesting. This is one of the very few after this. They never really bring up Godzilla's radiation that he admits again in movies. And when they do, it's always very plot specific. Um, and we never hear about anyone dying from it or any negative impact. So I'm very curious again, Rob, and this is one of those nerd I think too much about these uh, questions. I always wondered how the true nature of his radiation. So but in this movie, I mean, we are watching it in the context about ten years after Hiroshima, you know, that's horrifying. Ooh, this is radioactive, something's going off here guys.
2: Right. And we'll and later on we'll talk about why very specific incidents outside of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. this this film had its finger on the pulse. Well, doesn't it specifically say why he's radioactive? Well, it says because of the H-bomb testing. Yeah. Right. But what I'm going to say is like in other films, like nobody ever says, oh yeah, when Godzilla leaves behind rubble, he leaves behind radioactive fallout. Okay. Gotcha. Like they fix the city and they're like, oh, everybody's fine. I'm like, dude, do we just ignore that he's emitting radiation? Gotcha. Like, um, And this is where we get, the beginning of our reveal as they're touching and going through things and getting radiation sickness uh an alarm goes off like a traditional uh bell alarm that you would see in a village and they're screaming that godzilla is on the other side of hachiman hill and that he's appeared in the daylight and the team all i love this because they all rush up the hill to go see godzilla and this is where we get the first reveal of the monster godzilla kind of does like a little peekaboo peeks his head over the hill and it's amazing how they run up the hill and then it instantly like it's like a monty python film where they're like you're like let's go see godzilla and then as soon as he appears everybody's like run away run away back down the hill uh and ogata mr smooth i'm sorry start, might, might start calling him like kyle got because he's got your he's got your game he sees emiko falls down right away and oh like yo let me pick her up and grab her and take her to safety and like hides in a bush with her somewhere just as Godzilla kind of begins to move away from the hill and the rest of the villagers come back up and her dad's like, Emiko, where have you been? She's like, oh, I'm sorry, father. I, I, I was just hiding in this bush with Ogata. No big deal. Um, the cool thing I like here is that the when they get over the hill and try to find him, you see the map painting of the footsteps and the tail drag going into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of, you know, obviously you've now established this creature is massive. And that it can just disappear into the ocean and then appear somewhere random—that's that, kind of scary for that time period, right? Like a creature that could appear anywhere, and apparently he runs really fast because he did that fast. He did, he did. Moves super slow for eighty-nine percent of the movie, but in that scene alone, he just like—he <laughs> was wearing his—he's wearing his ultra boost.
0: You want to talk about fast, Yimane? This old man somehow got in front of every single person running up that hill <laughs> in a full tie. <laughs> man had the I don't know what he what his workout routine is, but man, I got to get on that. That guy beat everyone out.
2: He did. Yeah. It's his mustache. Way, yeah, I don't know right. if you know this, but a mustache gives people powers.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that, Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, if I could take away for a second, Rob, I'd like to yeah. kind of discuss. There's actually several deleted scenes for the Odo Island sequence. Um, originally, it was going to be cut between them investigating and then Godzilla appearing the next morning. That night... Emiko kind of asks her dad, like, well, so what do you think it is? And he's like, he goes, the evidence is pointing to one thing, but like, I can't even talk about it because everyone will think I'm insane. (laughs) Alluding to that he pretty much knew it was Godzilla based on the evidence. Um, And then too, interestingly, Ogata and Emiko are walking on the beach in the morning and she freaks out because she sees something moving in the ocean and Ogata gets a gun and starts shooting at it. And they reveal that it's the tip of Godzilla's tail. Just again, to show how massive it is. And then originally, okay. when he appeared over the hill, Godzilla was going to have a cow dangling out of his mouth, but that was cut because Honda felt that that was too gruesome uh, for his first appearance.
2: I actually probably would have been pretty sick to like see him like a half-eaten cow just dangling from his mouth, and like that would have that would
0: have been pretty cool. I think it would have been cool, but I think the roar is much more impactful. See, this is why this is why I brought There's you on because I didn't
2: know about any of those
0: deleted scenes. <laughs> so I mean, I get why they cut them for pacing. I kind of like the night scene, but. The movie is pretty brisk um, as it moves through and once Godzilla's on screen, you know, these movies, Rob, that's when the rubber hits the road. So,
2: G- Generally, yeah. Um, so we cut back to Dr. Imani giving a government presentation after this whole event, and he basically says a lot of science mumbo jumbo about Godzilla somehow being between a, a, a mix of evolution between the Jurassic Cretaceous. Says he's about 165 feet tall and most likely has been living hidden away in a subterranean cave system. Uh, but he believes that repeated H-bomb testings woke the creature, enraged it, and irradiated it. His assertions are that physical evidence supports it, such as the trilobite. And an official wants to know, and this is where we start to get into the Japan of the time period. An official wants to know, was the H-bomb involved? Like, can we pin this on the H-bomb? Because that would have a lot of political, at the time period, a lot of political implications. And... He does say the trace elements of radioactive fallout were found from the bomb or found from Godzilla. And Yamane believes that Godzilla is emitting radiations. And some officials do not want to make it public while others do. And it's really interesting that the prominent people that are trying to make things public and warn the people are women. And I say that's prominent because in 1946, women got the right to vote in Japan. Part of the occupations, uh, the, their rules for the new government was to make the emperor assemble, to cre- re-overhaul the democratic processes, and to give women the same rights as men in terms of voting and property. So seeing women on screen in a government building, pretty, pretty big for this time period. We kind of – interesting that this fight erupts in the government and the scientists are just kind of looking mortified. But they're just like, this is not helping anything. Like, we just told you there's a 665 foot tall radioactive lizard, and you guys are already fighting over it. Like, we need to be – we need to fix this. Uh, And we cut to a train, and this train scene is not in the American cut at all. Uh, And a woman remarks about radioactive tuna, fallout, and now Godzilla. And she mentions that she barely escaped Nagasaki. And the Japanese citizens, the, the, the people talking on the train kind of say the Japanese citizens have had enough of evacuations and disasters. And when we go back in the history of it, from 1945 to 1950, that there's a lot there um, that they really kind of went through in order to rebuild the country. And so it kind of makes sense that people are just like fatigued. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, I, and I feel like we can kind of relate to that on a different type of way today. Like a lot of people coming after all like the covid lockdowns and everything there's a lot of people who are like any if they hear even the word lockdown or shutdown or anything it's like an instant trigger people are like I don't want to hear none of that nope not happening we are not doing this again at next time yeah so i'm not saying just you i'm saying, i think that's i think that's a lot of people in 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 the country are are fatigued by one crisis after another especially our generation which has seen one crisis after another, regardless of where, you're, where you land politically. Uh, so we get the Disaster Response Center established. And they're kind of official statements. Our vessels are advised to stay away from specific fishing routes. The Japanese Coast Guard is going to be taking care of this, which are really the remainder of the once great Imperial Navy. And they're kind of mobilized to use depth charges. And so the Japanese, showing Japanese warships... War films were very big in Japan during World War II. And then they weren't allowed during occupation, they were censored. So for the Japanese to kind of see this again was I I mean, I can't assume the feeling, but I would imagine there would be a level of pride seeing the ships, you know, engaging in activities like that again. Um but a news report at this point, and you kind of it's not like a blink if you miss it, but a news report says that nearly 20 ships have been sunk at this point. And I missed that the first couple times that I watched this. I didn't realize it was that many ships had been sunk. I didn't even see that. That Yeah. So Godzilla has been messing things up out there.
0: It's interesting too, because you do see the depth charges being launched and set off, but you never actually see the impact they have on Godzilla. So, which I really do like that they hide a lot of Godzilla, even at this point in the movie still.
2: Right. And it feels almost very propaganda ish. Like this is what we're showing people. We're doing something about it. We're depth charging him. We're definitely going to get him. And we cut to the Yamane residence and Dr. Yamane does not want this creature killed. He's a man of science and he's very depressed by it. Um, I think we've all, been in a dr yamane moment at least once i literally he-
1: wrote down zoo guy doesn't want fucking them to kill godzilla
2: <laughs> i don't even know the fuck that
1: guy's name was
0: <laughs> he brings up specifically that they should study godzilla because godzilla can survive radiation in the h-bomb but that's like which is a great point like possibilities for what it could do for mankind
2: he's like dude this thing literally survived an h-bomb you don't think we should probably study that and figure out how we can uh but i love how like emiko's like okay like and he's just like just leave me alone and then she's walking out, he's like and turn off the lights and he just wants to go back to sulking in the darkness like staring out i don't know i think we've all been that that was like a hello darkness my old friend moment 100 this is where we get the first arrival of godzilla into the modern tokyo area a dinner cruise ship is out people are dancing having a good time little ukulele music playing and we get those sounds of footsteps, which I think is another horror element that's used where you're getting that droning foreboding sound. And Godzilla emerges from the bay. People are panicking. Um, pretty sure that some people definitely died in that panic. I don't know. They were like trying to slam through doors and stuff. But Godzilla doesn't make landfall. He kind of like peeks his head, says peekaboo, goes back underwater and says, I'll be back. At this point, the disaster center is in overdrive. Dr. Yamana arrives. The situation's changed, and international shipping lanes are threatened. And the team at this point wants to know how to kill Godzilla. And Yamani kind of says it right outright, that he believes that the H-bomb baptized him. Like, if the H-bomb couldn't kill Godzilla, what is? He was
1: baptized in the H-bomb.
2: Fire yeah, like, H-bomb. kill it. Yeah, It's not, it's not 1970 yet. We're not there yet. Mechagodzilla is coming. Might make it. Listen, the way they start solving Godzilla problems in later films just get
3: funnier and funnier. Did they ever try getting Godzuki to just ask him to help be on yes. the good side? Or? Yes,
1: actually, they did. They...
2: I respect and, it. And, and I'm not kidding you. Rodan, Mothra, and Godzilla are rival monsters. They are literally sitting there, and Mothra has these twin fairies that are like guardian spirits that can translate what they're saying. And in the English dub, Godzilla literally like flicks his hand at Mothra when they're when they're like saying to help. And then the twins go, oh, Godzilla, what terrible language. And it's just it's so funny because it, it's it's a hundred it, it's just so it, those movies get wild. They are the furthest thing from horror imaginable. They are just so campy at that point.
0: My favorite line in that movie, too, is when they're all arguing in the fairies. are like, yeah, the Godzilla and Rodan won't agree to help. And then the one character goes, Jesus Christ, they're just as awful as people. That <laughs> <laughs> thought it was an, always an interesting line. Yeah, the,
2: the humanization of them. And that's, to me, where we get away from this film. Because in this film, Godzilla is not humanized at all. The, this, is, this is a personification of atomic energy gone wrong. So we get to a newsroom and reporter Hagiwara, who we've kind of followed a little bit here, is ordered to go interview Dr. Sarazawa, the fiancé of Emiko, the fiance of Emiko Yamane, who is working on something. He's had a mysterious past. And because of his connection to Dr. Yamane, they're thinking he might have some tea, right? He might have something he could spill on this whole thing. And this is where we start to get into oh god on Emiko wanting to be a thing. And they're talking about uh kind of breaking it to Sarazawa and saying like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be upfront about this. And Emiko says, it's better to come from me. Like, let me break up with him. Uh, then you just walk in and be like, I'm taking your woman. Um, and this is where Hagiwara comes to see Emiko and basically saying like, listen, I know you're his fiance. I need to interview him. It's kind of sketchy. Cause he's like, doesn't say what he wants to interview him about at all. Really. But he basically begs her to help. And she's like, okay, come with me while I go break up with him. And then you can do the interview. Um, and so they head to Sarazawa's research lab. Now this is interesting enough because when a, when the reporter starts to talk to Sarazawa, he mentions that a former Germans, a former Nazi scientist in Switzerland, claimed that Sarazawa's work could produce a weapon that would kill Godzilla.
0: I don't think he specifically says it was a Nazi scientist. And he says he, said he, talked he to says a German, German college, scientist. I was like, I don't know any Germans. Get out of here.
2: Okay. It's implied in the 1940s that if it's a German scientist, it was probably a Nazi scientist. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, mm. Werner von Braun, mm. that's a bad one. Thanks, NASA. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Mm. The NASA hired Brung him or brought him in, yeah. Yeah, Werner von Braun was a Nazi scientist who, yeah, good times. Um, so Sarah would like right away, like I like Chris said, is like, I don't know any Germans. Not me. Nope, never worked with them once. Never, ever um yeah. <laughs> and he kind of kicks him out and he's sweating at this point he's like oh boy uh and emiko kind of just like nonchalantly she's like oh come on like what are you working on you can tell me trust your trust your old fiance and he does a 180 he's like okay come on down to the basement i'll show you what i'm working on
0: I, one thing i want to comment on is the set of his house it's so gothic and so out of place because a lot of the architecture in this is very japanese but his is like six out like a sore thumb it's all brick it's a lot of uh um, you
2: mean german architecture government.
0: yes and his laboratory too yeah. i'd say especially what we see later in the movies
2: rob it's very like a dr frankenstein movie. style castle, laboratory yeah. the words yeah.
0: right out of my mouth i was gonna say very dr frankenstein-esque versus you know very clean it's very kind of random put together
2: right and i think um I'll go into that later why I think that is uh, having to do with um, like Unit 731 mm-hmm. and some of the stuff with Japan. Uh, so the basement contains a complex lab with fish tanks and chemistry sets and we see Sarazawa place a tablet into the into one of the fish tanks as it activates. We don't see what Emiko sees but obviously it's something horrible because she like shrieks and recoils in horror. Uh, I like in this scene that they don't show us. I like that it's a lot of, you know, don't show don't tell like just you know you're kind of your imagination's got to kind of roll with it she's pretty sickened by whatever it is she saw but she promises to sarazawa that she's going to keep it a secret and as emiko arrives back home she's greeted by ogata and shinjiki but it's clear that she's unwell she's still shaken by everything Um, but she still does the duty of a woman in the 1950s she goes and gets beers for everybody and like Brings it right out for them. They've probably been home for like 12 hours, but she's gonna get them a beer as soon as she's home.
0: Course, uh, it's not a quick little continuity thing. They don't really explain it too much in the movie. It's discussed in later films, but that boy on the island, the reason you see him around Yumane's family is because his whole family was initially killed by Godzilla, so Yumane adopted him in and took him in. And his I kids he's, actually I he was a later in the franchise.
2: <laughs> well, and his grand his grandkids, is it his is it's his grandkids,
0: right? I think it's yeah, it's I, I can't recall if it's his grandson or Yamani's grandson, but they do put in there. Right, it's his um, kids.
2: His kids will later play... They play a big role in Godzilla vs. Destroya. Like, they talk about how, like, yeah, our dad was adopted after Godzilla ca- killed his whole family.
0: Like I love like little- too how in that movie, the, the character who's his grandson's like, yeah, I just used all my granddad's old research to do a presentation on Godzilla, and my professor failed me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um... So just as Dr. Yamane kind of arrives home an alarm sounds, once again, we can hear the footsteps. This has become the telltale sign of the disaster coming. This time, though, Ogata can see that Godzilla is making his way ashore. The Japanese military kind of starts using machine guns at first, uh, and they have no effect. Uh, And the evacuations begin, which are reminiscent of wartime Japan. Yamane warns that it tries to like rush with a group of people to see what was going on. And he's blocked by the military. And he's trying to say like, I have credentials, like let me through. And they're like, no, sorry. No, no, no. But he says like, don't shine lights in Godzilla's face. Like don't provoke him. You're going to make it worse. Okay. So
1: this motherfucker is getting shot with uh, machine guns, but shining light on him is worse.
2: Yeah, you're right. When they said
1: this, like, I'm like, wait, when I've like read it, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Let me go back 15 <laughs> seconds, and then he, I'm like, this, this doesn't make sense to me. How? What is the light
2: for him? I think some animals could be attracted to light. So if you shoot him, he might be adverse to it. But if you draw, sometimes like lights can bring a creature, and they'll want to go basically get rid of it. So I guess in his mind, he's like, listen, the light could draw him in further. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't be trying, don't attracting
0: him. Mm-hmm. They that, mentioned that, in um- a. The sequels and actually some of the comic books, Godzilla's mm-hmm. attracted to bright lights. Okay. So that's probably part of it, but I also imagine too, you know, if you're just going to shine the light in his eye, you know, he's going to turn around and be fuck off, you know, flip yeah. the show.
3: <laughs> Apparently, like bullets aren't doing anything.
0: So. Yeah, that's why. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's just those. That's just mosquitoes. That's yeah, not I was, was going to say he probably
0: doesn't even feel the bullets.
2: So, um, Godzilla starts destroying the port. Uh, this is a cool scene where he causes a commuter train to crash into his foot. And we get a really kind of for this time, a really visceral scene of people like collapsing, falling over in the trains. And he picks up one of the trains in his mouth and begins to crush it and then drops it on the ground with people still inside, you would assume, and then steps on it and crushes it. And that's a pretty violent scene for this time period in, in, in a monster film. And the injured are looking on in horror as he destroys bridges and other parts of the port before returning to sea. Now, this is just the port. This is a very early arrival, but it's very clear that in a very short time, he can do a lot of damage and cause a lot of carnage, very much like certain weapons.
0: One of the most interesting shots in the scene, Rob, sorry to cut you off, is when you have the group of people that survived or just caught in the middle, huddled on the rubble and it's zooming in on all of them, like holding each other as Godzilla is just kind of rampaging through. Yeah. Legitimate
2: terror. And I think what's done really well here, as it's not done so much in some other monster films are the camera angles that are used to kind of show his size. I don't know, Kyle, if you or Mark, if you guys picked up on any of that, but this was, uh, well, what I did notice
3: is like when they would show him at times like this, like, like especially standing by like the bridge you can see how big he is and then instead of like going off to close up some people they're kind of panned back a little bit so it kind of gives you like um like I don't a know. person's distant perspective yeah it's like it's a perspective where it's like you're back i don't know you're back farther so it, like i don't know you, you don't get the the people look smaller on the screen you know what i'm saying like right it's like a
2: for it's like a forced perspective
3: yeah and this is the part where he literally like is walking back into the ocean and then stops and like rips that fucking bridge out right he's like yeah (laughs) "Yeah, fuck this bridge too by the way uh,
0: yeah he does that here he flips the bridge he flips it again when he's yeah
3: yeah he's like he's like is this the same bridge i destroyed last time nah i ain't gonna fly they get fuck this bridge (laughs) fucking bridges
2: um and i gotta you gotta I, i have to say that as this is the first scene that we really get haruo nakajima in the suit moving and and acting and i think he does a great job of, of of really acting like an animal of moving and pacing and acting through suitmation which is an art in and of itself i think he does a great job the next day uh at this point researchers from around the world are arriving there needs to be a, de- stren- a defense strategy formed what they come up with is to basically create a giant electric fence using uh, high power, high voltage lines uh, surrounding the port, the newly formed JSDF, the Japanese Self-Defense Force, because remember Japan can't have an army, so this is the first time really showing off the Japanese Self-Defense Force quotation marks, Um, and the Coast Guard are going to kind of coordinate the evacuation efforts and countermeasures. I like this next part. We get the preparations, we get the tanks, the trucks, the construction units, and we get Akira Fukubei's, the composer, one of his iconic marches that he wrote for the Godzilla series that was really meant to evoke a lot of patriotic feelings in Japan, nationalistic feelings. During World War II, he was kind of known for composing military marches and a lot of work for nationalistic propaganda stuff. Uh, so him doing this here infuse he was also known for a lot of like beautiful traditional japanese pieces mixed with orchestra like kind of like a fusion of old and new so this is like a what do you would say like a montage like a training montage mm-hmm. of uh military forces mm-hmm. and they say that the residences of the th- of three major wards are ordered to evacuate now if you don't know much about tokyo tokyo's broken up into wards and sections there's a lot of people in each of these wards, and that's a massive evacuation to announce. So them saying that, while it might not mean enough to us to an audience in 1954, like they could picture in their mind uh, an evacuation of that size, which they would not have seen since World War II. do not uh,
1: matter
2: to Yeah, you're not really it doesn't really matter where you go.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, it's like the United States military in 1945 was like an episode of Cops. What you going to do when they come for you? uh yamane residents we're gonna kind of go back to ogata um wanting to ask for yamane's consent and this just goes so bad um ogata wants to talk to yamane about saying like hey i want to marry emiko and yamane comes back basically is on his whole godzilla should be studied for resistance of radiation he's a priceless specimen and ogata rather like i guess ogata forgot that he was there to get on yamane's good side because he just walks up to the table and he's like yeah i think you're wrong And uh, Godzilla needs to be killed because he's a walking (laughs) H-bomb. And Yamani basically says, get the hell out of my house. Like, I I don't know why I like that scene so much. And even Ogata kind of says, like, yeah, I I guess that wasn't the best play, was it? Like, that probably wasn't the best move. Um, This is where we get a news report stating that Godzilla is heading towards Tokyo, Yokohama, uh, the coastline. And this is kind of, in my opinion, where the film shows its true teeth in terms of its effects and everything else going forward, Godzilla arrives and basically walks into the barrier and the defense force immediately opens fire with machine guns. But this time they have artillery and other ordnance. This electrical display basically just annoys Godzilla. It's frustrating to him. And once he's kind of through that, we start to see the beginning of what would become iconic Godzilla's atomic breath. Uh, and I love a lot of the effects with the atomic breath, like the melting of things, like the melting of the power lines. I thought that was a really cool effect for its time.
0: How they accomplished it, Rob, they actually put it under those studio lights that would get super hot and the towers were made of wax and they just filmed it naturally melting and falling apart. And just sped up the film footage. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
2: That's pretty cool. There's a lot of like really cool, like Subaraya, who worked on a lot of these effects is pretty much a national treasure in terms of what he could do with on a little budget. Godzilla is unfazed by every form of counterattack and begins using his atomic breath to burn much of the city. And this is very reminiscent of the Tokyo fire bombings, which actually killed more people than the atomic bombs. I didn't know Keep- that. Yeah. Um, absolutely hor- horrific attack on tokyo people are burned alive as the fire brigade tries to save as many people as possible we see fire trucks crashing and first responders being killed of all the effects of this movie those fire truck effects are bad they're <laughs> funny though like yeah. especially when they had the guy that's
3: hanging outside the truck like little miniature yeah, like fucking yeah, yeah. And it slams <laughs> into shit i was like that looks so bad but it was so good
0: or, or, like, how they have the random stop motion of the car of uh, the fire truck doing like a triple Hollywood level <laughs> car wipeout before, blowing. yeah.
1: Which one, Mark, did you think was worse? The tr- The train one before he goes when he takes the bridge down and he has like the train in his mouth a little bit before this when he's going back in the water.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. some of that's a little, I mean, it's, uh, that's a little ch- definitely. Like was, some of those shots aren't the best.
1: Well, I guess obviously now from our perspective, like we're seeing this in like a, on 4k, like on a nice TV or something like right back then, like they didn't know that was like a fake train. They're probably like, how the hell did they do that with a train? Like what? Yeah.
2: yeah, It was pretty revolutionary for its time. Uh I love when they cut to the guy driving the fire trucks <laughs> and he's just like, Oh God, he's like swerving the yeah, wheel yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it's like a ter- a terrible cut to a toy just falling over sideways or like the the really bad stop motion edit where it crashes into the building, like it's missing a frame. Mm-hmm. You probably wouldn't notice it on a, on a TV playing on a VCR, but like Mark said, on a 4K screen streaming, it's very clear there's a frame missing because the truck's like there, and then all of a sudden it's in the building. Like you actually don't see a crash. That happened a lot. Like
1: I noticed the cuts in this movie like so much. In, in the beginning too, the same thing happens when the boat
2: gets on fire. Mm-hmm. Like it, yes. they, cut, they
1: cut a scene out.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that's got to remember oh, like frame I should say. It's a lot of hand-cutting cinema. Mm-hmm. Like hand-cutting well, the film rolls and everything. So, obviously if they made a mistake, they didn't have the money to go back and reshoot something. Like if they accidentally cut something that was staying as weird as it looked. Now, this is where we start getting tanks involved. We see a tank counterattack being launched. Once again, these are fleas. Godzilla's pretty much enraged by it and uh this is where we get all personnel are ordered to disengage and focus on rescue efforts. It's weird that I think one of the dumbest scenes of the sequence is followed by one of the most horrific scenes of the sequence. So the, all the cops are standing around the cop car and they're like hearing on the radio disengage all rescue efforts. But like a half a second later, there's 165 foot tall lizard like peers over buildings. Like what you talking about over there? It's like, and they look up like, oh, my God, he's right there. Are you serious? Like, and what have you guys been doing? you just been hanging out, eating donuts in the cop car, and all of a sudden, now you're going to get blasted. And they all scatter and run, but the one guy stays in the car when Godzilla just atomic breaths it and blows up the cop car, which I didn't think that effect was bad. I thought that was pretty good. Chris, did you have something you want
0: to say about that one? Oh no! I was just going to point out how I like how Godzilla specifically picked that cop car to destroy. <laughs> <It doesn't laughs> like specifically pick one vehicle ever again, but I just like how it's just like you. He
2: <laughs> goes, you guys are really just disrespecting me right now. You're hanging out. You're not taking this seriously. So I need to remind you who I am. Very much like the bridge. Hick, he has oh, the bri-
0: is rampaging through everything, Rob. What do you think the uh, U.S.'s excuse was to not show up to the party? To help the uh, Japan fight because we do have that treaty with them where if they get attacked, we have to jump in to help
2: them attacked by a, by a country. Mm. Oh, that's a country. Probably, Oh, it says
0: a country. That's the rationale it right there. Country, Japan though. Japan's like Japan's like, no, can, can you help?
2: He's like, that is not a country. That's a lizard. Weird. that is not we nowhere in the contract does it say we help you for a lizard uh so this is the scene i was talking about that i think is the most haunting um the woman and her children trapped on a it seemed like a basement inside of a building and she says you know we're gonna meet daddy soon uh obviously talking about most likely husband died in the war and like she's basically telling her kids like we're gonna die this is it
0: buckle up you don't even see godzilla kill them or anything i like how it just cuts to the building collapsing in on them i think that was pretty well done brought up again yeah
2: So followed by a weirdly comedic scene where the clock tower is going off and Godzilla like barks at it like a dog. Like it's like chiming and he like roars at it once. And then he says, nah, he just slaps the the clock tower and destroys it as reporters are watching. And I think this was a cool shot. The sea of flames, right? Tokyo just burning to the ground. To us, it's like, wow, cool shot. To, To people in 1954 who probably lived through the Tokyo fire bombings, that was probably pretty triggering.
0: And you can see Godzilla's silhouette up in the background, too. Yeah. Kinda, very it, cool. It's kind of a blink and you'll miss, but you'll see the silhouette of him kind of leaning back and roaring with just the flames all around him.
2: Yeah, great. It's it's just a it's a pretty iconic shot for the film. Uh followed by a great shot, I think, of a building that's collapsed and it's looking at Godzilla through broken windows. I don't know if you guys saw that shot or picked up on it. That was a great perspective shot of an office building collapse and Mm -hmm. seeing his leg walk by through broken windows. I thought that was very well done. Surprisingly, and I'm surprised, I'm really shocked that they did this for the time period. Godzilla destroys the Diet building. The fact that they showed Godzilla, it's one thing to show a city burning, but after everything Japan went through to see this creature destroy their government, which had just been rebuilt, had just regained its independence. And they're going to just film a sequence where the whole thing gets trashed. That was pretty shocking to me. Or he destroyed, like, everything. Yeah, everything. We yeah, but destroy. the fact that they filmed that specific sequence, like, that's gotcha. pretty meaningful for the time. Godzilla then approaches a radio tower, and I think this is pretty cool. Obviously, respect to this reporter, because he said, I I'm i I'm going to go out swinging. Like, I'm just going to report this to the end. Uh, the reporter sees Godzilla approach the tower. He knows no matter what he does. It's, it's We hear about stories like this of people who, like, know there's nothing. Th- I'm dead. I can't do anything. Mm. And you get, like, their last moments recorded. And this reporter is narrating basically the end of his lives, like, like his life and everyone around him. He goes, he's like, "This is it, people. This is the end. The the horrors here." And
0: uh, we actually get a pretty horrific scene of the tower falling and people falling out of the tower. That's like nightmare fuel. Like that's like if you're like on Kingda Ka or something and it goes wrong. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do.
2: I legitimately look at Kingda Ka, uh, the roller coaster in Six Flags, and I, I like, I am <laughs> reminded acting. of this tower scene, like legitimately.
0: Interestingly uh, enough, before Godzilla destroys it, you see the reporters taking pictures and all the lights they have up there going off at Godzilla, and it really pisses him off. So he really goes out of it purposely. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting whether they did that's it a good point. that little kind of callback to when Yumani's like, Do not put lights in his eyes, please. That's, that's
2: actually, yeah, you're right. That's a nice continuity. So, Godzilla then at this point finally says, I'm gonna head to the sea, I'm done. As the city is burning to ground, and the survivors are watching in horror. Yamane at this point has a front row seat. And I'm sure at this point he's, he's starting to change his mind. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I, I think Ogada might've been onto something here.
0: This is a walking H-bomb. An interesting thing too. I know it's in the American cut, Rob. So I don't, I remind me if it's in the Japanese one, but we get a shot of Sarazawa just watching on TV and it's just Tokyo in flames with Godzilla. And he's just sitting there like jaw on the floor. Like can't even comprehend. I don't it. know if we got that shot or not. I know it's in the American cut. I wasn't sure if it was in the original. Yeah, my my brain is. Blurred. I always really thought that remember. was a cool little bit to throw in to keep him in the plot.
2: Right. Uh, at this point, Godzilla once again finds another bridge that he wants to disrespect. And he's, <laughs> I mean, he's not. He, he, he Godzilla doesn't go around bridges. Bridges, bridges get out of the way. Yeah, he rips him out of the way. <laughs> yeah, like he's definitely benching six million pounds or something because he just like he just curls it straight up and just drops it and he's done with it. But we get the new and shiny Japanese Air Force uh, on on strings that you can see. Yeah, I love it. Uh, It's so good. Like, it's definitely like bottle rockets and like plastic models just flying at him. And the people are cheering. They're like, go get him. Go, go get Godzilla. And it's kind of implied that the jets harass him enough to get him to go away. I honestly think Godzilla was just over it. Like, I don't think the jets did anything. I think they first of all, where were these jets? The tanks were there. The artillery was there. The jets are showing up like two and a half hours later after the whole city is destroyed. Well, I don't know. My favorite part is what how they're just shooting all these rockets. Not a single
3: one hits him. <laughs> yeah. and You know, they're just going right into that city and the fucking people that like, <laughs> come on like they're taking all these shots when they don't I guess don't have clear shots like they're just fucking firing off into nope. like no fucks given. They're just like, fuck it.
2: So Send it. There's and, I, and I, it's funny you say that. So in 2016, they made a movie Shin Godzilla, mm-hmm. which is the which is a, my, it's actually a return to horror. It's the only other Godzilla film that is really in the return to horror. And there's a sequence in that film where helicopters, tanks, and artillery all target Godzilla. And with modern day equipment, you're not gonna miss, right? And they light Godzilla up. And they were like, you know. I never realized... That, a commenter on YouTube was like, I never realized Godzilla could get more horrifying when I realized all these years the Japanese Defense Force was missing 80% of their shots, mm-hmm. and Godzilla would just rampage through them. But now the Japanese Defense Force literally had 100% accuracy and lit him up, and he was perfectly fine. Like, they... That that was the running joke, right? Like, I was wondering, like, when they did Shin Godzilla... I think, Chris, we saw it in theaters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did.
2: Uh, I was wondering, were they gonna, like, throw some gags in there? where they miss? And funny enough... When the Americans drop their guided bombs, one of them misses. <laughs> and so it's the Americans who miss.
0: American ingenuity, right there, baby. Red, white, and blue integrity. I always <laughs> thought the scene too with Godzilla, since he was already on the way out and the jets harassing him, is kind of like Japan's like, you know, when, you, when a person gets their ass kicked at a bar and they're still on the floor and the person's leaving, like, yeah, you're lucky. You better run. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then I come back. <laughs> I always got that vibe with the fighter jets because I'm like, hey, he's leaving anyway. and He's kind of swatting at them, but he kind of just says oh, whatever and dives underwater.
2: I can see that 100%. So we now get the aftermath of this horrific attack. The remains of a scarred and desolate landscape, very much in the image of Hiroshima Nagasaki and the fire bombings of Tokyo. We see field hospitals filled up with the dead, the dying and the wounded. Uh, we see a child, I think it really kind of sad scene, we see a child screened for radiation and like shortly after screening, the doctor turns to I think Emiko, it was who was near him, or, or a nurse, and just kind of shook his head like that kid's dead. Um, while today we look at that from one perspective, if you look at the perspective of that time period, there were a lot of young children from Nagasaki and Hiroshima who would die of radiation poisoning in the in the year, weeks, months, and years after the event. So basically even though child looks fine, that child's dead. It's just it's a dead kid walking. Uh we also see a young girl by the side of her mom's by her her mom's bedside. Uh the mother is dead and they put a sheet over her and the girl starts like wailing. And Emiko like tries to pick the kid up and console the kid and then like hands the kid off to a nurse like listen I'm sorry. I mean this is um it's it's really it's it's kind of it really plays up the tragedy of what happened and i think it does a very good job of it and emiko is so overwhelmed by what she sees that she feels a responsibility to do something and when she sees ogata she finally reveals sarazawa's secret what she saw in that basement was something called the oxygen destroyer and it is a weapon that when sarazawa placed the tablet in the water According to the way this this thing works, it basically eliminates all oxygen molecules in the water. Which My ass does the same thing, by the way. In <laughs> case anyone's wondering, <laughs> so. uh, we we see that the fish actually begin to, dis- to disintegrate to skeletons, and then their skeletons even disintegrate. And that's honestly pretty horrifying to think about. Like all the oxygen being ripped out of the water, and like you just being disintegrated almost like acidically. Uh, his discovery, we find out, um, would be an unexpected one when they arrive as Ogata and Emiko go to the Sarazawa residence. Um we find out that I'm a little disjolted, but we find out that Sarazawa tells Emiko that a ball, a very tiny small capsule could actually turn all of Tokyo Bay into an aquatic graveyard. There are some implications here that this was a weapon that was being developed for the military. There are some implications there. Uh, He says, I unexpectedly came across it in my research of oxygen, and once I figured out it was a weapon, I couldn't tell anyone. Because the military would use this in a heartbeat. Emiko expressed her concern about the, the discovery and the weaponization that this thing could lead to humanity's extinction. But he seems to believe that eventually he could turn this research into a benefit for mankind uh ogata reassures emiko that she did the right thing by telling him and they go to the residence and it's very it's, i think it's an interesting scene like dr sarazawa walks out and emiko's in the living room he's like oh hey what's up and then he sees a guy goes yo what are you doing here man why are you in my house and ogata's like tell me about the oxygen destroyer and right away sarazawa's like i have no idea what you're talking about it's just, like, just like he's like staring like, oh, emiko uh. like you're about to be a body in my freezer. <laughs>
3: Two-timing
0: bitch!
2: <laughs> like, this is the best human drama in the entire film, right but, here.
0: Rob, the best part is, after he says, I don't know anything about an oxygen distortion, he just runs down and locks, tries to lock himself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he runs away, goes down to the lab, and he like locks himself. And Ogata goes down and uh, knocks the door open, and he sees Sarazawa basically trying to destroy, I guess, destroy research. Like, at this point, Sarazawa's terrified it's gonna get out. And a struggle ensues between Ogata and Sarazawa. And in the process, Ogata, I don't know what happens to him. Maybe the box that Sarazawa's holding hits him in the face or something. But, like, Ogata gets knocked to the ground and his head's cracked open. I wonder if it might have been more dramatic to kill him here. What do you guys think?
0: I think the fight was fine. It did its purpose. Because Ogata's really messed up. So Whatever they did, Sarazawa really beat the shit out of him. So. <laughs> <laughs> like He's exhausted. He's on the ground. He's like, uh. Uh, He's all sweating in Sarazawa, man. He looks like he's ready to run a five-mile marathon after that.
2: I'm just picturing in a lot of these things, like they had somebody with a spray bottle just misting the living daylights out of these guys because a lot of these scenes, they go from no nothing to like drenched in sweat in a second. So Ogata is injured, and and Sarazawa feels really bad about it. He expresses his fear once again that the world powers discovered atomic energy, and that could have helped millions, but they made a bomb out of it. Oxygen could... uh, Oxygen weaponry or oxygen research could change the lives of millions but they're only going to focus on the weapon of it and he says basically as long as he's alive and has knowledge in his head doesn't matter what he burns somebody could torture him and force him to tell like he's honest about it and he has like a really sobering moment where like he he kind of like wishes like falls his head into his hands and wishes that he had never invented this thing he had never discovered it um and I think that that's similar to like the way Oppenheimer felt like Oppenheimer later was very regretful of a lot of what had happened and a lot of the way his discoveries had been used, even though he knew he was building a bomb, but
0: whatever. A line um, of scene that always stood out to me. Again, I'm not sure if it's in the Japanese version. I know it's in the American dub is where Ogata's like, look, you have your fear for the oxygen destroyer. That's justified, but that might happen. We have Godzilla right now, which is happening. Like we have, he's kind of like, look, man. I get your fears, but we're in a situation. We need this now because Godzilla is here now and we have no clue what to do to stop him. Yeah.
2: I think that in the, in the American version, they kind of do it that way, but they kind of allow the radio presentation to do it in the Japanese version because we hear on the, or the TV presentation that uh, they're doing like a memorial service kind of
0: prayer for peace,
2: prayer for support. peace. Yeah. it's And it became actually a really iconic piece of music. Um a young girl's choir begins to sing a memorial song, Prayer for Peace, uh, as the TV pans over the destruction. And it's actually really a haunting melody when you see all this destruction and carnage. And people around the country are kind of implored to pray. You see some images of people praying traditional way. And Sarazawa is moved by it. He shuts off the TV and he agrees to use the weapon. But at just as he agrees he takes his notes and starts burning them and i think personally ogata didn't understand what that meant but emiko did because emiko starts breaking down and crying and ogata's kind of like why is she crying but like i think emiko fully understood what this meant and 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 his choice
0: uh and sarah's out even tries to comfort her he kind of tells her like look like this is honestly for the best And we do see a lot of that in Japanese cinema, the stoic sacrifice,
2: right? Telling people don't mourn for me. Don't, don't be upset. I'm, I'm fully committed to what I'm about to do. Let me do it. Let me have my honor. Let me do it. Uh, So the oxygen destroyer is prepared for use. Godzilla is located underwater using Geiger sensors and a ship is deployed with Dr. Sarazawa, Dr. Yamane, Ogata, and Emiko on board, Dr. Sarazawa insists that he needs to go down in a dive suit. He needs to go underwater and set the weapon. Ogata is literally tells him, dude, you never dived a day in your life. You are not going into a deep sea dive. And Sarazawa brings up a good point. There's one oxygen destroyer. He invented it. They can't afford to slip up and not and miss this chance. Like, I have to do it. Ogata agrees, but only if he goes with him. Sarazawa muses that he never thought he would unveil his discovery like this. And I think if you don't know, if you don't know what's going to happen, or you haven't picked up on what's going to happen. There's a lot. It, it's kind of more, it's kind of sad, right? Like he's, he's like, I didn't really see my life going this way. I didn't really see this discovery panning out like this.
0: I didn't uh, see myself dying to a 300 foot lizard. Yeah. Uh, so the two men the approach- 65 foot. Oh yeah. It's one hundred sixty. Well, they, they him uh, on him. Go- you're the
1: Godzilla <laughs> expert, huh? You didn't pick it up on this one, huh?
0: Listen, what, yeah, they do to God,
2: what they do to Godzilla in the 90s is they basically put him on steroids and every movie he gets bigger. Yeah. Um so the two men are lowered using old school dive suits like dive bell suits uh to the bottom of Tokyo Bay where they find Godzilla and as they approach I think these are some of the coolest shots of the movie Godzilla underwater and the way they framed a lot of these shots they use the flashlight to draw him in. They're trying to get Godzilla as close to them as possible. Sarazawa then Shocks Ogata by basically tugging on his support rope, which signals the people up top to start the ascent Mm -hmm. and to bring him up. And Ogata's like screaming Sarazawa's name, like, What the hell, dude? Like, why did you, why why am I going up? Like, I don't understand. And I think at this point, Ogata figures out what's going on. Um, Sarazawa cuts his support lines and engages the oxygen destroyer as Ogata calls down to him. Sarazawa radios back and says that it's working. Uh, And he hopes Emiko and Ogata will be happy together. uh, Final war to fail row before cutting his final oxygen cord. And we see the beginning of the end of Godzilla. It kind of sets in immediately on the top as the divers pull up Sarazawa's rope. As the team pulls up Sarazawa's rope and it's not attached to anything. I love how they didn't know until the rope came out of the water. I just know, Wait. (laughs) the way i always thought about it was like adrenaline like you're just pulling you're pulling you're pulling you're like you're trying to panic get somebody out and then you realize like there's nothing on this line like right like it was hopeless and yamane i feel like there's a great scene he's a great actor uh the actor who plays dr yamane he does it's like a, a solemn facial expression like very much mourning a friend godzilla emerges and is pretty much screaming in agony as his body's being disintegrated uh the camera follows his body as it sinks to the bottom of the ocean, and then there's a cool shot of it being dissolved into bones, and then the bones being dissolved away. And this is where Ogata uh tells Emiko that Sarazawa's final words uh were that they hope they're happy together. And Dr. Yamane has kind of <laughs> <laughs> he's like, You win, flawless victory. Right. Uh so Dr. Yamane refuses to believe, he has like a bit of a monologue at the end, refuses to believe that Godzilla was the last of his species. And I think this is one of the best lines of the movie. Uh, And it's not present so much in the American cut. I think Raymond Burr says something similar.
0: But Yamane actually has a similar line in the American cut, but it's a little little more twisted. The subtext is taken out. So it's more just kind of like an open hook if they make another Godzilla movie versus this one. That's more metaphorical.
2: In the American version, they were like, don't mention nuclear
3: testing. I think this was like a hook too, in case they wanted to.
2: Yes. In the American version, though, they were like, don't mention nuclear testing. And they just be like, if there's one Godzilla, there could be another. Uh. If mankind's not careful, there could be another. But he basically says like, if nuclear testing continues, then someday somewhere another Godzilla will appear. And the movie ends on a really somber note with that haunting music. And just as it opened with like a view of the sea, it closed with a view of the sea. And most monster movies don't end like this. Like, I feel like a lot of monster movies end with like a victory moment or like, yeah, we defeated the creature and it's the end and got the girl. It ends with a suicide sacrifice and everybody mourning and a presentation of arms on the ship. And then just this somber note of like, we did this to ourselves and it's going to happen again. And it just cuts. And that's Godzilla 1954. So briefly before we kind of go into our reviews i just wanted to touch on maybe a couple trivia facts or if you guys had any questions um and a little background of history would that be cool or sure so some of the things that go into this that i think are interesting is you have to look at the people involved so Ishiro honda who would be the director of this film actually served in world War II and witnessed some serious, serious atrocities. Uh, he was never confirmed to have taken part in anything, uh, but part of, his, part of his unit like inspired bloody coups and k- murdered civilian captives. Uh, he witnessed a lot of things, and the war really s- stuck with him, even so much that he had an unexploded shell that landed near him and almost killed him pretty much on his desk for the entirety of his career. He was always haunted by the war and by the horrors of war and the disasters. And actually, when he was... And I'm really shortchanging. this just so much here, but I'm giving you a condensed version. And Chris, if you think I'm off with something, let me know. I appreciate it. Um, so he actually toured Nagasaki and saw firsthand the devastation of the H-bomb. So that definitely had an imprint on him. And in addition to that, there were a couple other things that were going on, such as the nuclear testing, uh, it, like at the Bikini Atoll, which was the Pacific H-bomb test site for one of the major ones for the United States military. One of the fishing vessels from Japan, known as the Lucky Dragon Number no. 5, actually was exposed to radioactive fallout from one of the tests. And uh, a radio operator would actually die of exposure. In addition, radioactivity was actually detected in some of the tuna supply that was used at fish markets. So there was serious concern that not only did Japan suffer at the hands of the nuclear bombings, but that these irresponsible tests in the Pacific could risk killing more innocent people. Uh, The Lucky Dragon, the actual ship, is on display in the Tokyo Metropolitan Museum. You can go see it. And I'm sure it's not irradiated any longer. But this is just part of a sequence of disasters that really made this film so significant when it released. And Chris, I don't know if you want to speak to anything further on that.
0: Sure. Well, I was going to throw in the Lucky Dragon. When you actually read the firsthand account, it's almost identical to the opening of the film where they're just out on their boat hanging out and they see a bright flash and a huge light. And at that point, the Lucky Dragon was like, let's get out of here. And they got caught in the ash from the fallout. So that was huge in the minds, as you pointed out to Rob, a big thing with it was the Tokyo fire bombings. That's why Godzilla sets fire in the cities ablaze. which the U S they actually had um, Japanese citizens that were living in America, help them build model Japanese cities so they could test the best materials to burn them with. <laughs> so that's, deep, yeah, yeah, Hard they really were hardcore. So that was a big thing with it too. And then again, that ending moment, Rob, where he's like, if, if, we keep doing this. There's going to be another Godzilla. I always interpreted him as basically saying Hiroshima happened. And if we just keep playing with nuclear weapons, there's going to be another equivalent, you know, tragedy.
3: I kind of figured that was like the, like uh, the analogy there.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Right. And for the significance of this film, historically speaking, uh, in 1953, the occupation was ending. And in 1953, the censorship of films was ending. And so Toho wanted to make, go back to its old school days and they wanted to make a historical biopic film of Isoroko Yamamoto, who was the most famous admiral at that time in the Japanese Navy and was actually more palatable to Americans because he actually did not want to go to war. He was part of the, he was part of the Pearl Harbor attack and the master and pretty much one of the masterminds of that whole operation. But he very much was always against, for the most part, at least in my understanding, and I could be wrong. My understanding is that Yamamoto was never really keen on going to war. He had studied in America.
0: He had studied. He,
2: he went to Harvard, like he studied U.S. naval tactics. He understood our navy. He trained with our navy. He trained with our military, like he understood what a war with the United States could be. And so, for him, he did his best, and his he served his country, but he was he always knew that it would be a tall order to fight the United States. Uh, So in 1953, because they were allowed to make military films again, they made a film called The Eagle of the Pacific, which was a biopic about Yamamoto. And the reason why I bring this up is because this film saw Tomoyuki Tanaka, who would be the producer on Godzilla, paired up with Subaraya who did the practical effects on Godzilla and would be one of the most legendary practical effects specialists in that time period. It also saw Shiro Honda involved in terms of direction. And interestingly enough, there is a scene where they wanted to crash a plane and show a person getting all kinds of like mangled and stuff, but they want no nobody was willing to do the scene except Haruo Nakajima, who was signed up and said, "Y'all yeah, crash plane, let's go." Uh And so they kind of all got brought together and a year, just under a year later, I believe it was Tomoyuki Tanaka was scheduled to do another film in Indonesia. And that fell through. And on his way back, he was kind of inspired by having just seen 20,000 fathoms under the sea and musing about the dangers of nuclear energy, you know, hearing about lucky dragon and stuff like that. He says like, I know what I want to do. Like I want to do like a nuclear monster film. I want to do this. And because he had worked with this team previously, he knew the people he wanted for the job. And Toho went on a limb and produced the film. And this was really a protest film of its era and would launch a legacy for some of these people. I think that if you didn't have Eagle of the Pacific, I don't think you have Godzilla. And I think if you don't have like those people meeting at the right time at the right place, that film Godzilla would have never been what it was. I think it was good because of that. Um, I feel like that's a lot of films or a lot of anything, really. Like, it has to be like the right time, right place, right people. Perfect storm for it to, you know, make a difference. So, uh, like I said, we talked a lot about history during it. So there's not much more I really want to say. Uh, But I really am, because this is a film that's so near and dear to me, I really would love to hear... your thoughts on it and your reviews. I am totally prepared to cry if you didn't like it. Uh, But I think I would love to hear from Kyle first.
3: Right out of the gate. It's a three out of five for me. Um, It's not like a horrible film. I think my problem with it was I was tired when I tried watching it. Uh, That's my own mistake. It's an older film that's going to happen with older films, especially black and white, especially ones where I have to read. Uh, the subtitles, I mean, um, so I don't knock it on any of that stuff. Um, I understand its significance, and I I mean, it wasn't bad. I honestly thought I was going to hate this movie. I thought it was going to be a lot more boring to me, but it was actually pretty fast-paced for, um, I feel like it's time. Um, And I guess it's content. I don't know. Um, I, I didn't mind it. I, I thought Godzilla was going to look a little bit more goofy. I think the fact that it's in black and white it's kind of in the shadows a lot um, yeah. kind of helped. Um, the practical effects I, I didn't mind the miniatures. I thought that some of them were kind of funny. I like how Godzilla just says like fuck these bridges and just keeps ripping them out. Um, I, I don't know. Like It, it was all pretty good. I, I understand like how it fits into that horror category too. Like Definitely the, the mood that they tried to build, the atmosphere with the music, the sounds. Um, uh, it, it, it didn't seem like this was campy at all yet you know um i guess yeah. you're you kind of said that like there wasn't many giant monster movies yet so um it was kind of like uh setting the stage for that besides like obviously king
2: kong they're yeah, like yeah. them and stuff like that by now i'm pretty sure i pretty sure that came afterwards really
0: actually interesting my yeah. own little head Again, my own nerd thing. I say them and Godzilla happened together because at the end of them, they bring up, well, the answer from the first atomic test. What about all the other atomic tests we did? And I'm like, that's almost a perfect segue because, well, the other tests came out in 1954. Godzilla. So So, So
2: I'm trying to think when when in 1954 it came out. June. So, okay. So then technically, technically but either way, it it was first, but it wouldn't have had an influence. They wouldn't have had that
0: overlap just because of nature, like Kyle said.
2: They wouldn't have crossed paths. They just, but it just, they just kind of both happened to appear, mm-hmm. but right. they're so vastly different in tone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I I honestly like this
3: movie more than I thought I would. I thought it would be a lot lower of a rating, but the thing is like, even though it's older and I understand it's significant, it is still an older film. And to me, like, I, it, I might actually rewatch this sometime, but it's not like it's going to be anytime soon. That's why it's that three out of five instead of like, you know, four, but it's, better than I thought so I wasn't going to give it a 1 or a 2 that's for me so uh I guess we'll shoot it to Mark
1: yeah so if we listen to the audition thing I don't like reading subtitles at all so this movie's already getting knocked for that I don't like black and white I so this genre I absolutely hate it's terrible to me I hate for you two to hear me say this but I don't see the appeal of this movie I don't understand godzilla i don't find it interesting this stuff um this is not for me so i don't i really can't say anything but negative about this the only thing that i think i liked about this is when the guy said how they put girls in the raft and then that's how they would get rid of godzilla. <laughs> that was the only thing i liked um yeah i i don't know enough about this genre genre and i don't like this genre um i think attack of the 50 foot woman is from 1957 is better than this <laughs> I, I mean, know. I don't. I don't
2: remember last time I even saw that.
1: <laughs> I saw it one time, like twenty years ago. So yeah, I do not like Godzilla. I do not like this genre, and it's a one out of five for me. That's. I have nothing good to say. See, I expected that. Fair I enough. watched it, and I, with an open mind, and I said, I don't see the appeal to this. Because,
2: you're not. You're not alone.
1: Yeah, I don't. I. I. But the thing is, it has a huge following, which is like, you know. Which I understand because there's stuff I like that other people don't like. Spider-Man 3 is good. Halloween 5 is good. You guys just aren't watching the right movies. That's the problem. <laughs> so I don't know if I guess, Chris. Yeah, that's fine. You're, uh, I, I'm sure you have many good things to say about this.
0: Yes. Well, you know what? I'm biased, so I'm going to say five out of five. Yeah, but for sure. I can't separate my bias when it comes to this. This is probably probably like one of the only Godzilla movies I would actually put like as a movie movie like mm-hmm. I put in my list. Um, quick speed round of what I like about it: I love the miniatures. Um, I love the, almost like how the movie feels. Like it feels almost apocalyptic. Like this is the start of the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy, too, with Godzilla's rampages, because in the other, like, even the sequel to this that came out six months later, they drop almost everything with the aftermath of Godzilla going through. This is, like, one of the few movies where you really see the impact of it, and they really show Godzilla, like, methodically destroying the city, not just, I'm going from point A to point B to fight Monster X, I'm going from here to here, or Osaka paid us X amount of dollars to put them in the city, so let's throw them in, you know? Um, I think the acting's great, and interestingly enough when this came out a lot of japanese critics didn't like it they thought it was just fluff fanfare and even a little distasteful of everything Mm -hmm. so it's kind of aged like wine if you ask me and every time i watch it i find something new i like about it
2: makes sense to me i i I think that's why they, they swung to the camp like why they went campy because the dark 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 tone got people interested and then as what happens is uh you get a sequence of films afterwards like rodan and mothra which are in technicolor right like they're brighter there's a lot more like it's it's a disaster movie but it's a little more like the typical stereotypical disaster movies of the 50s and then i'm pretty sure you get godzilla raids again which is mixed reviewed but i'm pretty sure after raids again it's godzilla versus mothra
0: yeah. So how it goes is six months after this Godzilla reads again, because it was such a big hit. Apparently the president of Toho ordered let's get a sequel out as quick as we can.
2: Six months uh, later,
0: six That's- months later, they got it out. Um, and then they moved on to a couple other monsters like Rodan and Varan. Um, eventually they get to Mothra in 1961 and Mothra almost sets the formula and the tone for the movies moving forward. Cause that was such a big hit.
2: Like, they con- get- comedic human performances and like slapstick and a lot of stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's a bit more exaggerated with what they do with the monster. That's when they start doing, like, laser guns and heat rays and all kinds Maybe of all stuff. like that. Kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's campy. That's that's fun Godzilla. Mm-hmm. fun That's fun monster movies. This was a different... I think this was a protest film.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, Chris, I'm not trying to step on your review. I apologize.
0: <laughs> no, no worries. And I was just going to say that after that, they did King Kong versus Godzilla, and it was even more successful than this one, I believe.
1: But um, didn't that not happen until, like, the 70s or something like that? Or when did that happen?
0: 1962. So a couple years after that. And then Toho was like, Oh my God, look how much money we made. People love Godzilla. So they started pumping them out one a year from 1964 onwards. Actually put out two in 1964. Wow. So they just kept pumping them out and let's see rob they try i think there's been four films that were the last godzilla movie so they just keep coming back to it
2: and it's wild too because as you watch certain films later on you can actually see when they reuse the godzilla suits where where, where stuff's just broken like like you can see where like they glued skin back on where like things blew up on the costume and like at one point like godzilla's like has a stroke because his face like melted onto the light so his face is like crooked
0: I think my favorite was always they had one suit where the eyes were going in two different directions. And every time I see it from the front, I'm just like, ooh,
2: yeah, from a side profile shot it looks great. And the second you see it from like it turns and like faces the camera, his eye looks like a Muppet, like his eyes are just two different directions. So good stuff.
0: I mean, Rob, Yamane was talking about there'll be another Godzilla. How do you think he felt when like Ghidra and Mothra and Mechagodzilla and all these other ones started? I'm showing?
2: assuming he died of radiation poisoning. <laughs> in my headcanon, he died like a year later of radiation poisoning from Odo Island.
0: He That's only how- comes back in raids again. And even then it's for a brief scene where the government's kind of like, what do we do about the second Godzilla? And he's like, I have no clue. <laughs> I don't care anymore. I like to think he got a nice tenured position at a university, Rob. <laughs> it was like, don't ask me about Godzilla.
2: <sighs> so
1: I but think... Real, hold on real quick. Let me say something real quick. Uh, yeah. But this still like me not liking this movie. Still, I still kind of want to see the newer versions that are probably made for an American audience, like the ones with Millie Bobby Brown and who, who else is in it? Brian Cranston, maybe. It's good. I mean, yeah. So I mean... that's I'm assuming, those are more. I'm assuming. More geared toward American audiences.
2: So what they did, and I, I, I say this with, there are two major eras of Godzilla films, mm-hmm. pri- like that I recognize. Which is Showa. I'm sorry for my dogs. Uh, Showa and Heisei. Mm-hmm. Heisei tends to be more serious with like crazy monster fights with lasers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Showa tends to be more like slapstick wrestling. So maybe that's what I'll like Slap God- Godzilla King of the Monsters which mm-hmm. was uh, the second of the new trilogy of like mm-hmm. American made films yeah. is like the Heisei films it's crazy monster fights like beam attacks like it reminds me of the Heisei era the new Godzilla vs Kong is like the Showa era like people just doing dropping the people's elbow on Godzilla <laughs> like people picking up sticks and beating each other with them like somebody throwing a, like I think Kong like throws a train at one point at Godzilla like it's just it's that level of wild, but they just put an American budget and an American style to it. Mm-hmm. It's good. I, I like it. I so like Maybe
1: it. I will enjoy those one day. Maybe I'll watch all of them because there's only about like four of them to watch. I think three. Three right now. That's That's like, well, three. four. Three. Well, no, they have Kong and then Kong Skull Island and then Kong versus Godzilla, whatever it is. But then also I have to uh, fix something I said. I don't like black and white, but I do like dracula from like
2: 1930 whatever it is but I you like the hammer film
1: i really only like that one because Bela gossey is such a good actor yes and that movie is also like 60 minutes long too so yeah it's it's very easy
2: to watch it's an in and out burger of a movie yeah it's very easy to watch so i think i'll just shoot my review because i'm pretty sure we're all getting a little tired so i think obviously it's no brainer i'm giving a five out of five it is what it is Uh, i love this film so much but i love it also because um you know chris and i actually when we were in college together we took a japanese history film i'm sorry my dog's going crazy so when chris and i were in college together we took a japanese history course which i actually loved that class if i showed up for it um but badass uh it was eight it was an eight o'clock in the morning class and not showing up yeah. for a class you paid for. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, You're, you're right.
3: showing
1: Cancel uh, our student debt, Joe Biden, because I didn't go to school. <laughs> our class uh,
0: always waited with bated breath for Rob to stumble in because he was super tired or me to stumble in hungover from drinking the night before.
2: We sometimes stumble in at the same time. like. Uh, <laughs> but it's no secret that I love, I'm a history person, and specifically this era of history, the beginning of the nuclear age, is something that I find fascinating as well as Japan's insane meteoric rise from feudal state to one of probably the most dominant Western civilization in the uh, in Asia at that time, you know, the most dominant modern civilization. It's incredible. And this is one of Japan's first real protest films. It, it really is like a once the occupation and it's really like a, your nuclear testing is killing us. This is what you're doing like this is what's been done to us this is what will happen to us and it really is designed that way and i think ja- some japanese a lot of japanese critics at the time were hoping it was a lot more like a nationalistic the army defeats the monster film right the army doesn't defeat the monster really a-, a scientist who comes up with another possibly more horrifying weapon than the nuclear weapons is what kills godzilla and even then there's questions of morality, of responsibility. It is – there's a lot of depth to the film. And I usually don't like watching a lot of older older films sometimes because I have a lot of pacing issues with them. I feel like sometimes they're just way too drawn out. But I always like the pacing of this. Sometimes I prefer the American version, to be honest, uh, because they it is shorter and they cut up a lot. The pacing is very fast in the American film because a lot of things are trimmed out. But you lose a lot of the nuance of the history. Of the moment and you lose the core of it being a protest film obviously godzilla is huge to me um i have a godzilla poster at work i have a godzilla poster at home like i no godzilla tattoo I don't, no no tattoos in general but that might be my first uh i remember being a little kid watching godzilla i remember seeing this and it's you know one of my most vivid memories of my dad from when i was a kid uh when the sci-fi channel would run godzilla marathons like my dad would never complain about sitting on the couch with me and watching them. When I went to sun video, which is now closed permanently. Uh, there's
1: no one in the mom's mall.
2: They it closed it. Closed. Yeah. They what? shut it down. When? Yeah. They just, just uh, recently. No I was way. just there. We They're like,
1: what, like two months ago. When yeah. About two,
2: three weeks ago. I was there and I sent Kyle a picture of the, wow. of the storefront closed up. And I said, it's the end of an era. Um, So Suncoast is gone, but that was like the video store to find niche cinema, like Mm -hmm. stuff from where you couldn't really find anywhere. Mm -hmm. And my dad would always bring me to the mall. And I just remember from a young age, we would go and we'd find like Godzilla VHS tapes because it was the only place you could find them. I couldn't, Blockbuster might have one or two for rent, but like they had ones I'd never seen before. Right. And he would always buy them. We would go home and watch them together. And just like Star Wars, you know, he would watch that with me. It's just another way that my dad never discouraged me from pursuing my interests. And it's something I've always loved and gravitated towards. I love tokusatsu films. And honestly, it's probably why I love Power Rangers so much when I was a kid, right? Giant robots and monsters destroying cardboard buildings. It's the same thing. It's all part of that genre of, of giant monsters and model making. And it's something that I feel like speaks to the inner core of people who have played with action figures and toys when you're kids. And you're playing with two toys together and like you're picturing them in your mind, like smashing buildings and destroying crazy things and doing wild things before the era of like Marvel superhero films. Right. Those were your superhero films, giant creatures blowing up buildings and crazy laser beams and cool sci fi technology like that was it. And I feel like Godzilla if really began that. So this film to me has a special place not only in my heart but also in film history for beginning an era which was very defining for millions of people around the world so that's my thoughts on godzilla uh my favorite kill is the bridge uh uh rip bridge but uh, i i'm glad first and foremost kyle i'm glad that you liked it better than you thought you would and mark i'm actually really appreciative that you actually watched it
1: you know it's weird is, i don't think it has a pacing issue at all like you i don't i think that's the pacing is fine in it honestly no no just, no. i'm I saying just can't i can't
2: get into it i think a lot of films have a pacing issue in oh, that era okay. and i'm just saying that one is not as bad as i thought it would be okay but when you watch the american version it's mm. way faster because that's the because first the thing i it. thought
1: with this movie is like this shit's gonna be so slow yep. but i watched the first hour of it at work and i an hour went by and i'm like Fuck! I gotta go back to work. Like I just watched an hour of this movie. I meant to only yeah. watch a half an hour of it.
2: So, well, listen, uh, for any of you all listening out there, thank you so much. I appreciated you, and hope you get you hope you got through this first time of me hosting well. And uh, I'm now going to turn the keys to the car back over to the man in charge, uh, our Lord and Savior Kyle. All right, so you know, um, spooky season's coming up, so
3: we're gonna announce this next movie. soon to a theater near you. Our next movie is going to be Halloween
2: 2018. They're all spooky.
0: Michael Myers spent the last 40 years in captivity.
3: I have prayed that he would escape so I can kill him. I have waited for this night.
2: He's here.
3: He's for me. Michael! What we're going to do is we're going to do Halloween 2018 and then Halloween Kills and uh, we're going to do that leading up to, of course, the release of Halloween Ends and um, we'll, then we'll probably do a short episode on that. But uh, I mean, we've, as a group, Vintage Char, we've saw both of those movies together. So um we're going to go into these reviews together and then we'll go into Halloween ends together and we'll share all that with you guys. And, Fantastic. Uh, uh, but Chris, I want to thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Okay. You were a wonderful guest. You speak very clearly and I appreciate that. Um, as hey, opposed to me, man. you're welcome back anytime. If there's a movie like that, you know, Rob, if he ever talks to you about what we're doing, like, and you're interested, sh- you're welcome back anytime
0: honestly mm-hmm. hey man thanks i appreciate it you have a Very lot of nice knowledge you guys had me on um trust me i was holding back i could have flooded you guys with every time you, you should have i was right waiting now, did you know the catering on this movie was great <laughs> <laughs> no what do they have radioactive tuna awesome guys thank you i really appreciate it I had a great time where can our listeners find you um find me on instagram i guess chris from the black lagoon if you really want to find me up on there i don't post too shot? much godzilla stuff but you can look at all my old con pictures and i post a mean meme as rob will tell you so he's a meme master 100 do you like
1: uh creature from the black lagoon
0: oh yeah i love creature from the black lagoon you have me on for that one when it's coming have up you
1: up. ever met, have you ever um met the guy what's his name um uh He's an old guy now, Richard. Sumley. Yeah, I,
0: he was at a convention once and it came down to him or a Godzilla guest. So okay. I was just like, oh, I got to go to For Godzilla. So, but maybe knock on wood someday, you know, conventions still, are doing good.
1: He still does them.
3: Awesome. Well, if anybody wants to uh, reach out to us, you can email us at vintageharpod at gmail.com. Of course, we're on Instagram. It's where we're most active, even though we barely post anymore at vintagehar podcast uh you can find us on twitter at vintage underscore but of course we'd like never tweet i don't think we have any new rates or reviews but we'd love for people to go over to apple podcast and give us a rate and review or spotify and give us a rating that helps us a bunch um also if you guys would like to it would be awesome if you could leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash vintage podcast and that's it we'll see you next time bye,
1: see you. bye. later bye. Well,
2: i'm on vintage podcast Har-